This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. A10. We never said we were nice people here on the morning show. No. <laughs> yeah, no. We, we, yeah. Guy's been up all night. Now you just got to stay up till 810. Okay. Yeah, 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 that's fine. It's, it's his job. It's okay. Yeah. Right. And uh, 930 this morning, Carrie Lake back on the program. No? That's your Thursday morning. Sounds like a great one. We are out of here on this Thursday morning. We'll do it all over again tomorrow morning, 5 a.m., but don't go anywhere now. Yes, Sid and Friends in the morning, they are up next. to one of the most iconic stations in the nation, an American original. Talk Radio 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative. The fake news is warming up. They're getting ready. They're feeling their oats a little bit, not too much. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Just turned out to some breaking news that is going to have massive implications for immigration here in the United States. The Biden administration has granted protections to hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans who have already crossed into the United States. This protection applies to Venezuelans who got to the United States by July 31st, 2023. And this temporarily protected status essentially makes it easier for them to get U.S. worth authorization. This is a, a good approach, I thank the president for Having a limit, this is for people who came before July 31st, so it's not an enticement for more to come after. I think that was an important consideration. But also, it really does have to slow down at the border because the volume keeps growing and growing. New Yorkers are frustrated. New Yorkers are really concerned. Uh, and even the migrants are, are really concerned. We are both stating that this crisis should be de- dealt with in a manner where the national government uh, carries out the role that it's supposed to. It should not be left on the back the president, of the New York National City government residents. Say the president. Have you had personal contact with anyone at FBI headquarters about the Hunter Biden investigation? Ah. Uh. Don't re- I, don't, I don't recollect the answer to that question, but the FBI works for the Justice Department. It's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't, recollect, you don't recollect whether you've talked with anybody at FBI headquarters about an investigation of the president's son? I, I don't believe that I did. I promised the Senate when I came um, before it for confirmation that I would leave Mr. Weiss in place and that I would not interfere with his investigation. Okay, did I you ever... Kept, I have kept that promise. Saquon is, I'd say he's hes a lot better than maybe I thought he would be or some other people thought he would be today. Um, so, again, he might heal a little bit different than another player, if you will. So we'll just take it you know, day-to-day with him, and um, if he can make it, great. If he can't, 
See if you can get better by the following week, and we'll just take it uh, one day at a time. Breaking news out of the NFL. Giants running back Saquon Barkley will miss the game against the 49ers with a sprained ankle. It's coming from our lead NFL insider, Jonathan Jones. Barkley was injured in the Giants' comeback win against the Cardinals on Sunday, considered week-to-week. ESPN is reporting the Pro Bowl running back could miss up to three weeks as we take a look at the schedule again. Short week in Santa Clara against the 49ers and potentially against the Seahawks on Monday Night Football and then in South Florida for the Dolphins. lost in the last two stories you heard there in the Justin Ellick morning open. And we'll get to all of it. The Venezuelans getting temporary protection, eligibility to about 400,000 plus Venezuelans. And try to find out why it's just them. Merrick Garland getting his ass grilled on Capitol Hill yesterday. That was sexy. Eric Adams, Kathy Hochul, Trump. We'll get to all of it. But the last two stories you heard, first was the head football coach of the New York football giants, Brian Dayball, and he was saying that people heal differently. You know, we heard after the Giants' comeback win in Arizona on Sunday that Saquon Barkley had a pretty serious ankle injury, pretty serious. And uh, some reports had him out three to six weeks. And then Dayball was saying two days ago, I got to tell you, this guy's like Superman. He's healing at an unbelievable rate. He can play Thursday, which is tonight, of course. It was ridiculous when he said that. Nobody bought it, but he did say it. And then you heard the audio there that people heal differently, and he's right, but but come on. So then, right after he says that, you get the ESPN breaking report that Saquon Barkley will not play in Santa Clara tonight against the 49ers. And the Giants already in big trouble, 11-point underdogs in most places. The Niners, who lost to the Eagles in the NFC Championship game last year, they're that good. This kid Brock Purdy, a tremendous young quarterback. Christian McCaffrey may be the best running back in football. And they've started the season 2-0 and with road wins in Pittsburgh and Los Angeles against the Rams. And the Giants got blown out by Dallas and had to come all the way back against a lousy team in Arizona. So the Giants were in big trouble tonight to begin with, even with Barkley. Without him, boy, I just don't know. We ain't going to play. 
And then, of course, the rest of the report said he may not play for three weeks, which includes tonight's game in Santa Clara against the Niners, the Giants' next game, which is a Monday night matchup against Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks, and then a game in South Florida against the currently unbeaten 2-0 Miami Dolphins. The game after the Dolphins, they've got the Bills. I mean, the Giants have a brutal Think about that, Norm. How about those next four games? The 49ers, the Seahawks, the Dolphins, and the Bills. Then they get the Jets. <laughs> that is a tough schedule, no? They, they could easily be like one and six <laughs> at the end of this. Easily. Yeah. And, again, it looks like Barkley will miss at least three weeks, although Dayball says he's healing very, very quickly. We'll see. But looks like the Giants about an 11-point dog tonight in San Francisco. So when Lewis plays Hotel California, that makes sense because the Giants, as we speak, are staying in a hotel in California. But that's not why Lewis played that. You never thought about that, Louis, did you? That the Giants, we end the open with Brian Dayball and news about the Giants, and they're staying, as we speak, in a hotel in California. Now, you played it because there is musical significance which includes the band The Eagles. I um, No, I, on all those fronts, I considered everything. You so, considered everything? Of course. Yeah. San Francisco? Uh, no, I just told Justin, wow, yay me. Look Pretty me. good. Yeah. That's why I'm the man. Yeah, just, I was just consumed with the stupid birthdays and Don Felder was in The Eagles. See, like I know, obviously, Don Henley, Glenn Fry, God rest his soul, Joe Walsh. I didn't know the name Don Felder. Well, you got to know the personnel because, boy, they fight a lot. Who's they? Oh, Henley fights with everybody. I know. All of them. All of them. Fought. Yeah. They all, they threatened to punch each other when the show would be over. Well, the Stones did that, too. Of course. Any long time back. I remember when, uh, uh, God rest his soul, the drummer Charlie Watts was getting really pissed off over Jagger and Keith Richards' drug use. And they got back to a hotel after a concert one night. And uh, Jagger went to uh, Watts' room and started yelling. And uh, Watts may have even punched him across the face. Yeah, when they were in their younger days, they would do stuff like that, of yeah. course. You know, I just heard how they wrote their album, The Stones. They weren't together. So they get together in Jamaica when they get together, uh, J- uh, Jagger and Richard In Montego Bay. Yeah. They, that's they, they grill, actually, man. They grill. So they're writing in their separate places. They don't see each other, <laughs> so they don't even Zoom. So they just seem to write, and then they'll talk on the phone, and then they get together a while after. So kind of like uh, do it. Mike and the Mad Dog. That's know? right. That's <laughs> exactly. I spoke to both of those guys yesterday. Mike Francesa, the Pope. We'll be back on this show next week. He couldn't make it today. He's playing golf. But uh, Francesa next week, Doggy maybe tomorrow. But so many of these uh, radio uh, combinations ended ugly like that. You know, Opie and Anthony, they hate each other. And a lot of them. So the Stones don't even get together to write this music. It's That's just, great. But they, when they get together, what yeah. I, the, um, Jagger said, uh, it's um, just like the old days. They would get together in their apartment or do in heroin. Their mansion. Sure, do heroin. Drugs, smoke a lot, right. heroin. And Bang then, young uh, chicks. Yeah. yeah. Of course. We'll look at them. Kind of like uh, our do? pre-show meetings. It is. <laughs> exactly. It is. Pills are sorted out. Yeah, that's uh, bad. It, yeah. Bad, very, very bad. Well, very bad. Depends how you look at it. They're too old at this point. I mean, Jagger's 80. How old is Keith Richards? I think he's a little older. He's like 82, I think. Right. Yeah, God, they are God no bless. babies. 
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, happy. Uh, so, what is it? Felder's birthday, or? Uh, yeah. Now I gotta figure that out. Let's see. He was born in 1947. So that Mathematic would be 53 50, plus 23, 76. 76. Oh, 76. Yeah. Wow, I am terrible. Yeah, you are terrible. 60, 70. You right. went to Fordham, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that explains oh, it. You and Gunzelman. Right. Oh, no, I shouldn't God. say did that. He... A lot of smart people went to Fordham. Did ben he... Scully. Did he go to Fordham? Yes, Gunzelman okay. did, yes. Well, um, I'm proud. But you got you, <laughs> no, no, you, <laughs> you got Ben Scully went to Fordham, Mike Breen, Jody McDonald, Martin Scorsese. Char- Charles Osgood. Charles Osgood, Michael Kay. Yep. Colin McShane. Who? Colin McShane. Colin McShane, yes. Sure. Now the uh, three to five afternoon host at News Nation. Well, they're grabbing everybody, News Nation. They are grabbing everybody. I'm going to call those people one of these days. <laughs> Why not? If Bill O'Reilly can go on Chris Cuomo, I can certainly go on Dan Abrams. O'Reilly will join me at 840 this morning. So I do want to ask you something, Noam, this, uh, this story that is everywhere this morning that the president and Kathy Hochul got together, and the president has um, offered this temporary protection to about 400,000 Venezuelans. I need you to explain to me in the audience a, what that's about, what that means. I know it means they can work, don't have to wait 180 days, but why solely the Venezuelans? What, what do you have on that? Well, so they'll call the Venezuelans here, actually, they'll call them asylum seekers. And the thought there is they're coming from horrible conditions and that they've escaped those horrible conditions. And so that's why they get to go to the front of the line. Yeah. So these other people, like from Honduras, is that Fort Lauderdale in April? Well, I don't get it. Maybe compared at this point mm. to Venezuela, they're going to go country by country. Well, so why why, why does oil uh, all of a sudden... And maybe I'm just a cynic, because I'm not that smart. But why does oil all of a sudden come to mind? Am I right when I say that we've been getting oil from Venezuela? So let's bend over backwards to appease them and their people, because you're just wrong about that. Venezuela uh, is no worse than a lot of other countries that these people are coming from. But why are we bending over for Venezuela? Where is John Katsimatidis, damn it? It could be oil-based. No two ways about it. They've gone. Uh, I guarantee you John's going to say that this morning, and he's a smart guy. It, you know, they've gone through horrible leaders. They had Hugo Chavez for all those years. Now it's Nicolas Maduro. The inflation's incredibly high. Uh, hyperinflation, crime, starvation, disease. And so that's why people are running away from there. Yeah, it doesn't sound great now, does it? No. Well, that's a big story. Is the president still here? Uh, you know, you asked a question I don't know the answer to. I know he is supposed to be back at the White House hosting uh, President Zelensky this afternoon at 3 o'clock. And I see on his schedule he has a White House briefing at 9 this morning. So my assumption is he's back. He must White have House. gone back last yeah. night. I know the Russians took advantage of this uh, Zelensky-Biden meeting. What did Putin do to show his ultimate respect? The Russians went nuts and bombed Ukraine all over the place, including Kiev yesterday. I mean, widespread, or widespread, I should say, bombing and escalating the war, knowing full well that Biden and Zelensky were meeting at the White House today. So anybody out there who really believes that it's just coincidental that Vladimir Putin decided to attack when Joe Biden became president, that uh, Donald Trump just got, quote, unquote, lucky. Somebody actually said that to me once at dinner. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I said, wait a second. The president before Trump, Obama, Putin went into Crimea. The president after Trump, Biden, who worked together, mind you, Putin went into Ukraine. The four years in between when Trump was president, nothing happened. 
He said, well, Trump was lucky, I guess. I mean, how do you know that it was Trump? I go, wait a second. The guy before and the guy after it happened, but it didn't happen during Trump. Hmm. How smart do you have to be? This is how stupid, uh, you know, uh, ordinarily smart people are because they hate Donald Trump. There's no, that's your explanation. Trump got lucky. Not that, well, he was friends with Putin. What do you mean? He negotiated with Putin. No, he didn't. Donald Trump comes from the school, smart, keep my enemies closer than my friends. Well, he used to compliment Putin. So what? Good. Putin's a smart guy. I don't care what you say about Putin. I don't want him killing innocent people. And Trump was able to do that. And China wasn't flirting with invading Taiwan. And North Korea wasn't meeting with Russia. Not because Trump negotiated with these people. Not because Trump liked these people. But he figured it out. Right? I mean, and now you get this story today. I don't know if you saw this. No. It's a big story. But Kathy Hochul. This witch, I, I hate her. Hate is a very, very uh, hard word. I don't, I don't hate people. I hate Kathy Hochul. New York sets the presidential primary for April the 2nd. This is according to NBC New York. And there is a possibility, and we'll talk to Joe Tacopino later on in this program, there's a possibility that on April the 2nd, President Trump will be in court over this ridiculous Alvin Bragg hush money case. Do you think that's coincidental? I don't think so. Your thoughts on that, normally? Pro- I would guess probably not, no. Isn't that unbelievable? They said Kathy Hochul set the presidential primary on a date where she knows, she knows the president may be in court. How gross is that? I mean, come on. You know what's so interesting, too, on the sidelines of this General Assembly yesterday, uh, Sid, was that the governor got time, got FaceTime, apparently, with President Biden, but Mayor Adams apparently did not. Nothing. Nothing. And, you know, he continues. He reached a, I know, I wish the president, I wish the president, he just won't get nasty. And what that says to you is, with all of his yelling and screaming, and I do think he cares to a certain extent. But with all of his complaining and yelling and screaming and bitching, at the end of the day, God, I hate that, but it works. At the end of the day, Eric Adams is more concerned about how his party, specifically the high-powered Democrats, feel about him than he is the safety of any New Yorker. If you don't believe that, you are somewhere between naive and stupid and closer to the latter. He just wants to climb his way to the White House And if it means that he has to call Joe Biden, the national government, the federal government, and never call this bastard out by name, he's going to do it forever. He said two days ago, I really hope and wish the president, are you nuts? He should be yelling, yo, Biden, Biden, you're killing me. You're killing us. He just won't do it. Why not, Noam? Why not? I think you... you did a good job of explaining why. Yeah. I think he has these aspirations. At least it seems like he does. And he doesn't want to get in the way of those. <laughs> yeah. And how about what we saw yesterday on Capitol Hill with Merrick Garland? Leave the Cialis and the Viagra at home today, folks. <laughs> Just watch that. I mean, did you hear what we played in the open, that, that one little piece gnome where Garland said, I don't remember, I don't recollect. First, he stammered and stuttered, and mu- and then he eventually said, I can't remember. And they said, wait a second, you don't remember having a discussion about the president's son? And he said, I, 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 well, I, 
<laughs> Why? I mean, have you ever heard anything so corrupt? This is the attorney general. And then he started talking about David Weiss, another creep. This is the attorney general. Did you hear that? Yeah, it was, it, he, he got bitch slapped. I think that's the best way to he describe did. it. No, that's exactly the yeah. perfect way to say it. He got bitch slapped. The attorney general, Merrick Garland. So, we're already off to a fantastic start. Thank you, Noam. And Lewis, on your Thursday morning, great guest list coming your way today. You know, in radio, they rate you every 15 minutes, and the audience, at least according to the ratings people, it changes every 15 minutes. A very small percentage of people listen to a four-hour radio show for all four hours, although our time spent listening says that a lot of my listeners actually do that. I know who you are. But truth be told, a lot of people are in their cars now in the 6 o'clock hour, and by the 7, 8, 9 o'clock hour, they're at work and they can't listen. So... It makes a lot of radio sense if you've got a great interview at 9.30 in the morning the day before to replay it in the 6 o'clock hour the next morning. And that's what I'm doing today with Nigel Farage. That was such a great conversation. He was live in London about a multitude of topics. We're going to play Nigel coming up at 6.45. Curtis Sliwa, as always, the man, the icon, the legend. He's coming up at 7.05. We will talk to Judge Andrew Napolitano. He'll be here at 7.40. Frank Morano staying up this morning. Thank you, Frankie. Host of Other Side of Midnight. He'll be here at 8.10. The ratings grab of the week. The highest rated segment all week long on WABC. Bill O'Reilly and Sid Rosenberg coming up at 8.40. Looks like Joseph Takapina may stop by at 9.10. And then the lovely Carrie Lake. She'll be here at 9.30. The number is always 1-800-848-WABC. 1-800-848-9222. Thursday morning with me, Sid, right here on Talk Radio 77, WABC. Talk Radio 77, WABC. Boy. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Seventy-seven WABC. Cradle of Love at 6.30 on your Thursday morning. I was, uh, you know, I saw Maria Bartiromo for a couple of minutes this morning. I love Maria. I'm going to try to get Maria or Larry Kudlow on tomorrow. 
She was talking about how the Fed did not raise interest rates this time around. They paused it. So I was reading John Katsimatidis, and I know you think I suck up to my boss, and you're wrong. I don't need to do that. Trust me, I don't. I don't suck up to anybody. Well, maybe Danielle, that's it, but my mom. But um, John's just smart, like the smartest businessman I know, and I'll include Trump in that equation. And it says here on Facebook, John Katsimatidis, he posted this uh, six hours ago. It says, and I quote, I think the Fed did the right thing in pausing. They really had no choice. They're aware they are hurting the rest of the country, said John Katsimatidis, CEO of Red Apple Group. And, you know, this is uh, relatively important because they've been raising interest rates, point twenty-five, I believe, almost every chance they've gotten. And now they've decided not to. Because we had heard months and months ago they were they were going to stop. They were going to pause. No, we have anything on this uh, this interest rate pause that John Katzmatidis talked about just a couple of hours ago? Well, he would probably have a better sense of why they decided to make that pause. Well, they have. And inflation and, and all the economic issues and destroying the, the, the market, the real estate market. I mean, there's a million reasons why they would pause it. But And they've raised it ten times since March of last year. Right. And they did promise maybe after the fifth or sixth time they were going to stop. Right. Well, the thought was that each time they would do it, it would lower the rate of inflation. It hasn't worked in the way that they wanted to so far. Right. But they did say yesterday, we'll likely get another rate increase before the end of the year. <laughs> of course they did. All right. We're going to talk to, uh, of course they did, Nigel Farage. Nigel Farage is the Sid Rosenberg of London. He's really talented. And uh, Trump loves Nigel like he loves me. And Nigel, I didn't realize, lived a long time here in New York and even worked on Wall Street for a while, which makes sense because he knows everything about this city and this country. While I'm in London quite a bit, my daughter goes to college in Wales. You know the whole story. I know a lot about greater London and that area. Some of the outlying areas, I've I've been to Wimbledon and I've uh, I've worked out in Equinox gyms and other spots off the, the train in London. But I don't know much about the whole U.K. I just don't. Uh, on the other hand, Nigel Farage, he sounds like he could be working at Fox News today. So he's going to join us next. Plus, we'll get a little traffic update from Joe Nolan. But right now it is time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Get the whole story in under 10 New York minutes Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and get the max out of mini. Today's mini cast is Lou Rufino's favorite. He loves this guy, Dominic Carter. He can't get enough, Dominic. Never enough, especially on what day is it? A Thursday. (laughs) Well, on this Thursday, Dominic, here you are talking about my guy coming up at 710 Curtis Sliwa. Monday, the city comptroller threatened to revoke the mayor's emergency powers as it relates to migrant housing, stating more scrutiny is needed to be given to the embattled contractor dot go. And you know, folks, I have to give Curtis Sliwa a lot of credit. Curtis Sliwa months ago brought up this company, DocGo. And now we're having the city controller suspending uh, the company, Adams reinstating it. It's going back and forth. But the first person that I heard talk about DocGo happened to be Curtis Sliwa. 
I've been hearing a lot about Lang Insurance. They sell luxury home insurance to high net worth individuals in all 50 states. Call Kevin Lang at Lang Insurance. Call 866-964-4434. He's an expert in reviewing your current coverage to save money, leaving you with your current insurance company or moving you to a less expensive one. Clients rave about his skills. You call, they quote, you save. That's 866-964-4434 or just visit langins.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers looking forward here. Week three of the NFL season set to kick off with your New York football giants. Tonight on Thursday Night Football in San Francisco against the 49ers star running back Excuse me, Saquon Barkley has officially been ruled out, and the G-Men are currently 10.5-point underdogs going in. As for the Jets, right now they're 2.5-point dogs. Sunday afternoon at home against the New England Patriots on the Diamond. The Yankees lose 6-1 to at home to the Blue Jays in the first of three with Toronto. Michael King got out-dueled on the mound by Toronto's Kevin Gausman, while the bats went quiet once again for New York, uh, just registering just five hits on the night, the Yanks. New York will try and uh, avoid a sweep in the finale tonight, set for a 7.05 p.m. First pitch, Garrett Cole, the ace, getting the start there. As for the Mets, they were able to salvage their series finale in Miami, beating the Marlins 8-3 to last night to avoid a series sweep. Mark Vientos had his first career multi-homer game. Brendan Nimmo was a triple short of the cycle. And Kodai Senga threw six innings, a two-run ball, while Brett Beatty also went deep for the Metropolitans. They'll make the trip now to Philadelphia, where they'll meet the Phillies for a four-game set. Series opener scheduled for 7.15 p.m. first pitch tonight, with David Peterson set to take the hill for New York. Sports sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. For you, 928. What a beautiful day here in New York City, your Wednesday morning. And we've been listening all morning long from the very top at 6 a.m. You know what my day was like yesterday, late in the afternoon. Danielle and I shipped off our daughter, Ava, back to Wales, back to Cardiff, year two of uh, a three year plan after a tremendously successful freshman campaign in Wales. She was home for the better part of five months, long time. But that day finally came yesterday, and she left last night and landed in London at Heathrow. 
at 3.33 a.m. local time this morning, which, by the way, is about 8.30 a.m., the five hours ahead in London. And, in fact, right now is probably having lunch somewhere in London because it's about 2.30 in the afternoon there. She's going to uh, stay in London and have dinner and then make her way back to Wales, which on that fast train is about a 90-minute ride, and meet up in her new house. She stayed in uh, a building close to the campus last year. This year she's got... She's literally staying in, like, a big, beautiful house with five housemates. But she's in London as we speak, and so is my next guest. I love this guy. I saw him for the first time on television. I told him this many times years ago. During a, uh, It was a Trump rally. I think it was Seattle. I think it was. I'm not even positive, but I think it was. And uh, this guy comes walking out with his British accent, this Nigel Farage. He was already a big star at the time, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. A lot of people. I was doing sports most of my career. And I'm like, who's this guy? This guy's great. And then now years later, he's become a friend of mine. He's been on this show a couple of times. And I figured, hey, talking to Suzanne, of course, I figured, hey, if, um, not Suzanne, Alexandra, I'm sorry. If Ava is in London today, why not talk to somebody else in London today? So here he is, the biggest radio star in the U.K., and beloved by Americans like me all over this country, the brilliant Nigel Farage. Nigel, good morning, buddy. Good morning, New York. And i got something in common with you, because your daughter's in London, and my 18-year-old daughter is in Washington, D.C. So there you go. The pond is a very small place. <laughs> what, what is the big, differ- the big difference is yeah. it's, sunny, it's sunny in New York this morning, and here in London, and this will not surprise an American audience, it is raining. <laughs> you know what's funny about that is, is I've been to London quite a bit now, especially the last couple of years. Even before Ava decided to go to Wales, Nigel, we made a bunch of trips to London, and I've never been there when the weather hasn't been nice. Isn't that weird? Well, I know, but this, this is the American perception. The American perception of London is that it's always raining, <laughs> it's always foggy, it's always <laughs> miserable. Because of course we are. I mean, let's face it, we're a you know we're a mid-Atlantic island, you know. But today fits the stereotype that most New Yorkers have. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we do have a uh, sunny, gorgeous day. So uh, I know my daughter is in uh, in London on her way to college. Why is your daughter in Washington D.C.? What is she doing here? She's got over. Um, after her exams and before university, and uh, she's interning. She's interning um, in uh, Washington for an American politician. Um, not one, I can assure you, of left-wing persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, well, the last time I went to London, I remember I was um, I was staying in a hotel. What hotel was it? Oh, the Waldorf, I, I said earlier. And uh, they, they had the BBC on. TV in the, in the morning, you know, come down with my coffee and whatever. And uh, I kept asking people, I want to put Nigel on, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I came to find very, very quickly that much like New York, you see, I live in a, in a neighborhood in Queens where I can't walk out of the house, Nigel, without people taking pictures and honking their horns. They love me like Trump. But here in New York City, when I walk around, they look at me like I'm the devil. And I didn't realize this, but you sort of get a lot of the same reception that I get when I ask people about you in London. Yeah, I've just had lunch. I've just finished lunch in one of the oldest pubs in London, and uh, I was sitting there, and a couple came in and sat at the next table, and they looked at me, and they asked to be moved. (laughs) (laughs) See? 
that's exactly what they said. They go, Nigel? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> but, you know, who cares? Who cares? Because the truth is, the truth is, in the center of our big cities, we've got this metropolitan elite. You know, they're all well off. They're all white. They've all got these bizarre ideas about the world. Um, but, you know, once you get away from that and meet real people, the truth is we are in a majority. We just need to wake up and realize it. No, you're right about that. I totally agree. And also not just wake up and realize it, but not be afraid to say it. But I'm curious, before we get to Donald Trump and my government, which you know more about than most Americans, you know, you've had uh, quite a run there. You had about three prime ministers in three weeks, and you had all those changes in parliament. And, of course, Boris, uh, you know, he stepped down at some point. So what does government look like? And King Charles, of course, is not a, really a government figure, but at any rate, he was, uh, you know, he was coronated uh, last year. What does government look like in your country today? So 10 years ago, I was asked by the BBC on, on, on an interview um, where, with most of the questions, I was treated like a war criminal, obviously. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and, and I was asked, what did I want to achieve with my UKIP revolutionary movement, a political revolution, peaceful revolutionary movement. And I said, I want to cause an earthquake in British politics. Well, do you know what? I did that. It was called Brexit, and they couldn't cope with it. And that's why we've had lots of prime ministers, lots of finance ministers. Uh, and now we finished up with this guy, Rishi Sunak, who no one's ever voted for, but hey, he's there. But in two hours' time, we are going to get one of the biggest policy statements we've seen in Britain for 30 years. Wow. He is going to do a volt fast on the whole net zero agenda. He is going to say, after 2030, for several years, we can go on buying petrol and diesel cars. He's going to say, if you live out in the rural areas, you can keep your oil tank. He's going to say, you know, you don't need to get some ludicrous heat pump on the side of your house that cost you a blooming fortune. So there's a big U-turn coming this afternoon. The whole Westminster consensus has been obsessed that carbon dioxide is somehow a pollutant. I mean, quite how it's a pollutant when you pump it into greenhouses to make tomatoes grow, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, so actually, we're beginning to see, we're beginning to see uh, a failing Conservative government finally get just a little bit more conservative. And I found, out, I found out a fact yesterday that a firm called Huawei, they're a Chinese energy company, right? They produce more carbon dioxide, that one company, than the whole of the UK every single wow. year. Wow. Every single year. So we're beginning to get, you know, some signs. Um, and I, you know, I did my stuff in politics. I'm now doing it on media and social media. Um, the good thing is they're all terrified of me, as they should be. Um, <laughs> and, and we are beginning. But, I mean, basically, basically, we finished up with a conservative movement that could have been run in America by Mitt Romney. You know? Yeah. That whole, yep. that whole kind of thing. You know, we've not had the right. And, and Boris was an attractive fella. You know, he's, he's, he's uncombed hair and he's quite witty and... Uh, he can't answer a straight question how many kids he's got. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he's, he's, he's sort of a rogue, but he's vaguely amusing. But on policy, he's been a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suspect we're heading next year down more of a socialist route. Um, 
I think the conservative brand's been damaged. But I think America's in a very different place. Um, I think that I think that Trump, for all his difficulties, um, and my goodness me, they've made his life hard. Um, I just think, you know, and I've had a 40-year association with your great country. I worked for American companies. I've been involved with American politics and media, and I love America. Um, and, and I just think the time is right now uh, for Trump to become number 47. Yeah, so do I. And, and uh, Donald and I have gotten uh, pretty close. He was on this show two weeks ago. He's been on twice over the last three months. I know you and he, you and he are very close. He loves you. Loves you. And I think you're right, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But before I get to Trump, one last thing on your country. We talk a lot in the United States about China. That's our number one enemy. I know people say it's Russia. It's not. It's China. And part of that is this Ukraine-Russia war, which we know that China's watching very, very closely to see what the Ukrainians do, to see what the United States does. So that could be a proxy on that as well. The streets of London or the U.K. where you are, Nigel, there's a lot of talk about China being the world's number one enemy, and how do you feel about the Ukraine-Russia conflict? You've got to understand that we're 3,000 miles closer to this than you are. And you go another 1,000 miles further east, and you speak to people in Estonia or Poland. I mean, they are terrified of Russia uh, because of the Soviet past and everything else. So that's an important thing to understand. Um, I cannot condone what Putin has done in any way at all. But equally, equally... The narrative that we're getting from Biden, from Trudeau, from Rishi Sunak, from the Western leaders, that we must keep arming Ukraine, arming Ukraine, arming Ukraine, and putting young men from both sides into a meat grinder of a war that is leading to casualties we've not seen in Europe since World War I strikes me as morally wrong. And I think we need to have someone's got to stand up. I mean, Zelensky was at the UN yesterday saying, don't talk to the Russians. But you know something? All through history, wars end with some kind of resolution. So I don't support what Putin's done, but I do, unlike our leaders at the moment, support a peace negotiation. We need to talk peace. We cannot go on seeing these tens of thousands of young boys being killed every month. It's that horrible. You know, you brought up Donald Trump earlier and talking about Ukraine, Russia. And uh, a lot of us in this country feel this way. I know I do. A lot of us do. If Donald Trump, Nigel, would have won again in 2020 and served that second term, he thinks he did. He thinks the election was rigged. That's all the story. Um, if he was still president, you know, you know in your heart of hearts, you're a smart guy, that there's no way in a million years, million years, Putin would have got into Ukraine just like there's no way in a million years the Chinese would even flirt with starting a war with Taiwan. So why would anybody... Right? Right. No, it would never have happened. It would never, ever have happened. And he and I have talked about this, you know, one-on-one, often over the course of the last couple of years. It would never have happened. The trouble is, America finished up with a president who was a complete old duffer, no idea what he was doing. No idea what he was doing. And he unilaterally withdrew, withdrew... 3,000 troops from Afghanistan. They weren't fighting in the front line. They were helping the Afghanistan army. He handed, he handed Afghanistan back to the very same Taliban we'd fought at great cost for 20 years. And you know what? Pro rata, 
on the size of population, we put in every dollar and every human life that you put in, all right? We stood with you all the way in this, equally. We're smaller, but equally, we did. And Biden handed it back, and Putin thought, with Biden in charge, the West is finished. So, no, no, we can lay a huge amount of blame at Biden's door. But it's becoming clearer to me, uh, not only is he an old duffer, but he's frankly senile. (laughs) Nobody in America is telling the truth about this. Everyone's playing this with kid gloves. The Republicans won't say it because they fear that if the 25th Amendment got moved, he'd be booted out. He's their greatest asset. Uh, The Democrats are holding faith within their own tribe with Biden. But I predict that within the next couple of months, you're going to see Democrat senators and congressmen and women coming out saying Biden must go. We cannot, we cannot go on with the leader of the Western world being this total numbskull. Well, I agree with you, but believe it or not, his approval rating in a lot of these states is 50%. And again, I maintain if I walked around, uh, you know, greater London this morning, they would say he's not doing a bad job. And if he is doing a bad job, at least he's not as bad as Trump. And that's the, that's the psychosis that these deranged people are living with every day. I'll ask you this. Uh, you're down on Biden. So am I. I think he's a creep. He's demented. He's corrupt. He's a lot of bad things. Uh, who is uh, less popular for Nigel Farage? Joe Biden or Meghan Markle? Oh, you've got me. You've got me. You've got me. The first question in 25 years I can't answer. <laughs> oh, it's, it's got to be Meghan because it's got to be Meghan because, you know, presidents come and presidents go. All right. But the royal family, you know, have been on our throne and heads of the Commonwealth, don't forget that, 2.2 billion people. Um, the royal family matters to the English-speaking world. And the damage that bleep, 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 bleep <laughs> woman. <laughs> but wait, but, 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 but don't you... It but, is breakfast. It is breakfast. No, I know, but, 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 you know, for all the people that blame Meghan Markle, and she's all those things you just said, okay, fine. Isn't the person more to blame Harry? He's the prince? Well, Come on. I know, I know. I mean, I know know about being pussy whipped, I I get it, but come on, Nigel. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. She's the poison. She's the poison. She put the poison in the apple, and Harry was stupid enough to eat it. All right, and that's how I put it. (laughs) Literally and figuratively. Um, And you can't blame him, by the way. She's a beautiful girl. But, I mean, is is that uh, kind of, uh, well, not over yet, but is it losing some steam, or is the Megan... Oh, yes. It is. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. oh, look, you know, I mean, you know, we are bored to death with them here in the UK. Right. And my sense and my sense is that out in L.A., even the lovers in L.A. realize there are a couple of pretty boring dudes <laughs> who've got very, very little to offer. So I, I think <laughs> the end's coming. <laughs> so if I was listening to you, what a great conversation. I think you're a genius. I really do. Um, if I was listening to you the day after Princess Diana was tragically killed, would I have heard a Nigel that said, oh, my God, what a horrible accident? Or would I have heard a Nigel that would have said, something looks fishy to me? No, I always take the view in the world, um, if you look back through history, I always take the view that cock-up is more likely than conspiracy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you know, and, 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 I mean, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, the driver was drunk. 
uh, the, the, you know, the paparazzi were on their tail. Uh, did she, with Dodi Fayad, present a potential threat to the monarchy? Yes, she did. Um, although, you know, whatever her stupidity is, you've got to remember this. She was 19 years old. She was put into an arranged marriage with the future King of England. That's what it was. He could never even bring himself in public to say that he loved her. Uh, he carried on a relationship with a, with, with a former girlfriend stroke fiance. Uh, I think we need to feel, on a human level, just a little bit of sympathy for where Diana found herself. I think I do. Well, let's wrap this up with Trump, because that's where I found you. And, uh, boy, I'm happy I did. And he has a huge lead right now, as you know, Nigel, better than anybody in that Republican primary race. He's going to win that. And now the question oh, yeah. becomes, who's he going to face? You know, uh, most of the smart people I speak to don't think Biden makes it between his health issues and the fact that he's corrupt. They think he goes away. Now they're having a hard time telling me, is it going to be Gavin Newsom? Is it going to be Kamala Harris? Do they convince Michelle Obama? They don't know. What do you think the future holds for Trump, and who does he beat? Well, it can't be Kamala Harris. I mean, she's utterly useless. I mean, goodness <laughs> gracious me. I mean, I mean, Biden's better than her. And so it can't be her. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's a complete, absolute, total impossibility, I would have thought. So it can't be her. Um, I, you know, looking at the field of runners and riders, um, I, my money's on Gavin Newsom uh, because he's younger and he's media friendly. But he has to tell America that he's not going to turn, turn the whole of America into California with its drugs problem, its homelessness, its crime, its fading education system, its tax rates, its fleeing of people. And they're moving off to Colorado, to Texas, to Florida, to Europe, wherever they go. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think Newsom's the best they've got. But how does he fight? How does he fight? Does he? I mean, does the whole of America want to become like Los Angeles? Uh, that's where I think this debate's going. And that's why I still think, that's why I still think, Trump will win. So do I. So interesting that uh, you know so much about this country. I once kind of joked with you and said, maybe we'll switch places one week and you'll do this show <laughs> and I'll do your show. But the problem is, really outside of London and Wales, oh, actually I did work out once at an Equinox uh, by Wimbledon. Uh, I forget exactly what uh, the town that was. But I know nothing about uh, the country. And you know everything about my country. So we can't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got. Well, as I said to you, you know, I, I started work in 1982 working for a Wall Street company. Uh, I spent 20 years working for American companies. I was a transatlantic commuter on a weekly basis for over 20 years. I've spent much of my life in America. I've traveled it widely, extensively. I believe that the bond between our countries culturally, you know, whether it comes to music, art, literature, conversation, language, um, you know, we are so close, it's almost unbelievable. Agreed. The only problem we've got, the only bloody problem we've got, is that when I come to America, as I regularly do, people talk about my British accent, and I'm really sorry. I haven't got the accent you have. <laughs> and by the way, I'm really sorry I haven't got the accent you have. <laughs> but uh, you, you are great. Hey, listen, you got to keep coming on. You're, you're really tremendous, terrific, fantastic. And when I get to London to go see Ava in November, I'm going to come by and uh, see you at the studios. Okay, pal? We, no, 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 no. You're not doing that. We're no? going out for dinner. Oh, even better. All right. It's a date, <laughs> Nigel. Thank you so much. <laughs>
you. We'll talk soon. Take care. There he is. Is that guy the best or what? Nigel Farage, the absolute best. Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. This is a crisis that is going to impact every New York City resident and it's going to hurt. And it's going to hurt me personally because we fought so hard to bring this city back and we are moving in the right direction and this should not be happening to our city. Disco Friday a day earlier for Curtis, the Tramps, Disco Inferno, and, of course, Mayor Eric Adams at 712 on your beautiful sunsplash Thursday morning in New York City. You heard, Eric, that was from New York One yesterday, Louis' friend there, Pat Kiernan. You know about Curtis, folks, noon to one every weekday afternoon. He gets big, big ratings here, gets big ratings as well, weekend overnights. But does arguably his best work, it's not even arguable, his best work is right here with me, 710, every weekday morning. This segment is listened to by millions. I can't tell you how many people tell me every day, oh, you and Curtis, you and Curtis, you and Curtis. And if you have never listened to this segment before, you're going to be surprised to find out that Curtis has a pretty strong opinion on the mayor. And now that I mentioned the mayor, I'm going to warn three people right now. Three people that are in Curtis Sliwa's crosshairs this morning. Never a comfortable place to be. And those three people are Frank Morano. He's coming up on my show in about 45 minutes. Arthur Idala, famous defense attorney, and Staten Island Councilman Joe Borelli. That's uh, quite a lead-up. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the icon, the legend, Mr. Guardian Angel, and the savior for New York, my friend Curtis Sliwa. Good morning. Now... Let me give props to Lou, because it's not disco Friday morning. So Lou has played disco on a Thursday morning, because you know me. I love well, disco. Well, you I, love I, disco. I asked him to, yes. yes. And we have to be careful with Lou, because remember he <laughs> said... Lou rolls his eyes. Just let him give me the credit, Sid. It's okay if somebody else gets credit once in a while. <laughs> Go ahead. But I have a renewed respect for wrong way Lou Rafino. 
renewed. Because last week he said his favorite movie of all time is Falling Down with Michael Douglas. Which he lied. Well, actually, Caligula is his favorite movie well, of all time. Well, let's face it. <laughs> that's not PG here. We got to be PG here. Okay. But I, I just, I bonded with him. That's one of my all-time favorite movies. Michael Douglas out there in a rage. No kidding. And there is a particular scene. No. They're, they're in the land of the Cholos and the Vatos, East L.A. And Michael Douglas says, just as I'm going to take a break, I'm going to lay out on this rock because I'm going crazy. I'm losing my mind. And the two Cholos and the Vatos approach him. This is definitely Lou Ruffino. Listen, fellas. I've had a really rare morning. I mean, I'm not in the mood to go. Where should he pay? How about that briefcase, man? Got my briefcase? I'll get it for you, all right? You can have my briefcase. Here, you want my briefcase? Here's my briefcase! Where you going, huh? Where you going? You forgot the briefcase! You forgot the briefcase! I'm going home! Clear up, you I'm going home. I remember that scene very, very vividly. Vividly, and yes, that, that could be Lou Rufino at any time. Right when he's uh, finished his shift after working with my Rip and Reed, everybody clears out in the hallway. When he goes to punch out, I'm going home to the Irish Riviera. I'm going home. He's got a baseball bat in his hand. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised that's not you showing up at uh, these rallies, which I've done three with you. Yes. In fact, I was under the impression, as most of us were, that uh, it was not a matter of if, but when, inevitable, you would be arrested for the 81st time last night. What happened? I was prepared for that. Uh, I had 21 other people preparing to get arrested, civil disobedience. But the city of New York did acknowledge uh, our uh, demand. No more buses to come into that senior citizen long-term housing unit. None more have come. And no Chief Joe Galati. You remember Chief Joe yes, Galati. Yes. The guy who had the marinara stain <laughs> yeah. on his shirt and to call no, the code no. red. And there were 300 right. cops and drones and everything. You would have thought it was a military occupation the night before. Well, when you said the city has complied... Who were you talking about specifically? Oh, Eric Adams. Come oh, on. oh, oh. He watches through that drone. But wait a second. Eric Adams yes. actually did something right by you? Well, no. No, no. He'll no. never, he'll never no. acknowledge it. <laughs> right. But there were so few cops there last night, which is perfect, because why are you going to have cops at a rally that is pro-police? And so I realized 21 arrests. They didn't even have 21 cops to make college. So I said to everybody... The fact that you don't have Chief Joe Galata here with the marinara sauce on his shirt who called the code red. I'm going to give you guys, you cops, props. Everybody gave them a standing ovation. No arrest tonight. But the next bus that comes in, the mother of all civil disobedience. <laughs> okay. And what is that happening? Do we know? Well, let them try to bring a bus okay. On so Sunday, they're having a march at 11 o'clock in the morning from... Midland Beach, the senior citizen. Who's they when you say they're having a march? The rebels. The rebels. My peeps. Your peeps. Led by John Tobacco and Scott Lebedo, right? These are not the politicians. Although, Andrew Lanza, the state senator, might as well be a rebel. He's with us all the time. All the, this guy is so good. I'm telling you, the rest of the politicians, and they show up, they give a speech, they leave. As you know, the rallies I hold, no politicians. No politicians. Speak. Those are rally yes. killers. But hundreds came out last night, both sides, 
of uh, Father Cabanana Boulevard, all of them, Sid Rosenberg, listeners, they said, I catch you with Sid in the morning and the rip and read. It's like synergy. <laughs> and everybody, American flags. I no, mean, the true. most patriotic yeah, yeah. section of New York City. And this is where the battle well, in the country is. I would argue that, but that's okay. I think I live in the most patriotic part of New York City. You're right. close. I've gotten an update on Floyd Bennett Field. They're already starting to dig for the sewers. The sewers that they desperately need out there because of the drainage problem in order to put the tents up. And remember, Brooklyn and Queens, both sides, they're going to shove 7,500 illegal aliens, single able-bodied men of military age into those tents. Well, what happened? I had Joanne Ariola on on Monday, and uh, she said to me that there was a lawyer, which uh, she identified, and you and I talked about going to court that day, going to file an injunction. Are you telling me that that, uh, that didn't do anything for, no, no, for no, us no. residents? Look, look, as you know, when all is said and done, it would have been, it would not have been my choice. John Chiampoli, he's an election attorney. But hey, the more the better. So I hope they win. I hope the Staten Island guys win. We need our own lawyer. Hey, whatever happened with Murray? Well, uh, Murray is in court right now with his own case, but he's ready, willing, and able okay, to help. Good. We gotta go to federal court. But, but if you're telling me that they're moving forward, and doing stuff with the sewers and all that, then they, they clearly are not intimidated or care about these court well, injunctions. They're only intimidated by us. You know that, Sid. By you. Yes. No, us, because we co-hosted these rallies. No, that's true. And, and, and John Tobacco was a great guy. I really love him. I do. And Scott Lebedo and yes. the people in Brooklyn and Queens. Rebels. We're rebels. So they, and, and now two days ago with the rally on Staten Island, he was saying to me, and I can't believe this is true, that they actually have drones. Yes. At these rallies, and, and now we'll, we'll get to one of the three people. These are the NYPD drones. Right. All three of our rallies, the only ones to have drones hanging over us. We didn't have it at Floyd Bennett Field, you no, saw. No, We didn't have it at Creedmoor. Why only Staten Island? And we give one assignment to that Goldberg, that slacker, Frank <laughs> Morano, that Mamaluke. Get a lawyer because it's a violation of our rights. I got it. I, got I, I was going to say, still he's, waiting. he's one of the three people in your crosshairs this morning, along with uh, Joe Borelli and Arthur Idali. I want to hear why. his excuses. Okay. He's had over two weeks. I, he's hosting a radio show here. Oh, he's... please. Yeah, I, I know. He's killing himself, right? <laughs> How many attorneys does he have on that night to put me to sleep overnight? He's got all these attorneys he puts on. He can't get one of them to file suit. So after showing up at a rally a couple of weeks ago and you were so happy and you flowered him that morning with all these beautiful superlatives, once again, Frank Morano is on your S Well, look, he doesn't deliver. <laughs> he, he might as well be a politician. Oh, I'm going to get an attorney. And he says, this has been my issue long before these protests, which is true. If you listen to the other side of midnight, he knows this is Orwell 1984. But when it comes to delivering, what has he added on the table, right? All we ask him, put one hors d'oeuvre out there in our battle against the city, the state, and Joe Biden. And he's done nothing. He showed up at one rally with an Uncle Floyd shirt on. Oh, my God. What a poop butt. Well, I think at that same rally, a guy that you've been fighting with for years, and it got very, very ugly, specifically right here, when he was in Greece, and I believe he referred to you more than twice as an ingrate, and I'm talking about council person Joe Borelli. By the way, what does that mean? That's a an uh, ingrate. Yes, an ingrate. Uh, I mean, you're like lower than scum. You're oh, just, okay, like yeah, you're just a complete low right, yeah, okay. yeah. And uh, that's fine. So uh, I believe he was at that same rally that night, and, and much like Frank Morano, you came in the next day. You're like, oh, me and Borelli, you're good. And now I come to find yesterday. 
that you're not good. No. What happened there? No, let me tell you. I saw he went to uh, the House of Representatives to give testimony, which was great. And all he did was kiss Eric Adams' ass. No way. No way. Yes. Give me an example. It was all about, oh, I exempt Eric Adams. He's trying. You know, the typical line. Oh, he's any, trying. Anybody he's else? Trying. Raise your hand in these studios right now. Noam, Lou, everybody. If you're sick and tired of hearing the mayor is trying, when when did we get to the point in our society where our leaders, the guys in charge, get credit for trying? That is nonsense. You either get the job done or you don't. So Joe Borelli needs to stop that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. So Borelli goes there, blames Biden, got it, blames Sokol, got it, and then exempts Eric they Adams. They all do it. They all do it. Yeah, i got to tell, tell you something. They all do Eric it. Eric Adams started this by taking on Abbott, who has pimp-slapped him down, who has turned him into a little mini-me of his, and every time he attacks Abbott, you know what Abbott says, I'm sending more buses. And you know Abbott. Uh, is uh, delivering on his promise. Whereas Eric Adams, there are no promises. But let me tell you this. Sid, yesterday, there was a visit here at WABC by the president and vice president of Manhattan College, the Jaspers, and Ray Kelly, esteemed alumnus, lobbying me not to do a demonstration on Sunday, or at least exempting Manhattan College from providing to this nonprofit stag years ago one of the empty dorms, which is now going to be filled with illegal aliens. So they came here, yes. the president and the greatest police commissioner ever, sorry, Bill Bratton, it's not you, it's Ray Kelly, Yes, to basically beg you not to do it? No, I think they were here to see John. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that makes but more because, sense. Because I was here, they figured, <laughs> hey, let's get two for one. And they made a very good presentation. And then Ray Kelly is running around. Hey, I used to listen to the Curtis Lee with Super Sports Spectacular. He's like my number one fan. What? Oh, trying to uh, obviously stroke me big time. Right, of course. And I told him, guys, you figure it out. You sign the contract with Stag. We're going to be there 2 o'clock Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. Join us at 238th Street and Waldo Avenue. We're going to stop them from putting illegal aliens into a dorm. It's right by Manhattan College. I mean, that, they're going to run wild. And let me talk about these Venezuelans who now have this temporary protected status. Well, what is this all about? And why is it, uh, I know there's more Venezuelans than any other group, but if I'm from another Latino, Latin country, I'm going to try to, you know, kind of show myself as Venezuelan to get the same advantages they're getting. Why just the Venezuelans? Well, because it prevents them from being deported. Uh, they claim that they're, you know, political prisoners, nonsense. But I'm telling you, you and I, we can start a... Uh, a uh, consulting firm for both the Yankees and the Mets. What do you mean? Well, we can actually start tryouts for the Venezuelans now that they have temporary protected status. They can't be deported like El Duque and Levon Hernandez, his brother, remember, who came from Cuba. Yes. We could try them out. They could be a Miguel Cabrera there, a Luis Aparicio, a Ronald Lacuna, a Felix Hernandez, a Jose Altuna, an Andres Galarraga, a Freddy Garcia, a Johan Santana. And remember, I see of course. And when he was a Marlin manager, he said, I love Castro. That he, was it for That him. was the end of him, yes. But he said, I, look, I was in Miami when he said yeah, that. He said, illegal yeah. aliens are workaholics. We do the hard work. <laughs> 
So we got to try. We, we'll, we'll form this with IZD in, right? Because they all love IZD. They think I'm Hugo Chavez because of the Red Beret. We can do it. And your friend, Arthur Idala. Oh, boy. Now, this is the third and final person, and Curtis Lee was crosshairs this morning. What a traditor. What a sedate. Remember the last time I heard from him? Oh, there are no motorcycles, motorbikes, or Vespas outside of the Roosevelt Hotel. My office is right there. It is. And then remember, you had callers call up and say, he's lying. They're back-to-back, belly-to-belly. Well, Arthur Idella, thanks for telling us where your headquarters and operation is. Because at 5 o'clock today, Arthur Idella is hosting a fundraiser for Eric Adams, Swagger Man with No Plan. And guess who's coming to the fundraiser, Do I get one guess? Uh, Guess who's coming? Me and a lot of our friends. You have some splaining to do, Arthur Idella. In the midst of this crisis, still with the despots, dictators, and tyrants chasing around for cocaine and hookers. Check out the New York Post today. Sid was right when he said that. All of a sudden, in the middle of all this mission, Eric Adams is having a fundraiser, getting wine dined in pocket line by Arthur Idella, who in his law firm today is going to order everyone who works for him, write checks, write checks that's matchable funds. Arthur, that's illegal. We're going to see you in court. And guess what? We're going to be outside to let everybody know you're an Eric Adams ass kisser. Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. Liam Gallagher here from a band that I love, Oasis. I don't love this song. I love Champagne Supernova, Don't Go Away, Wonderwall. But Lou Rafino, of course, is a um, a real musical genius, and he knows more songs than I do. So is this uh, Liam or Noel Gallagher's birthday today? Uh, Liam. But you think they're both a-holes? They are beyond a-holes. <laughs> really beyond. beyond? 
They're beyond. I think only one was. It was like the Robinson brothers from Black Crow. No, only one they was. both are been. St- they were banned from uh, some European airline about fifteen years ago. <laughs> they Not just right. got thrown off, and they were banned for life. Isn't what's his name in the same boat? Uh, the American hero who I love. He was on with me and Bernie a ton of times. The man that put the bullet between the eyes of Osama bin Laden, Robert O'Neill. He. He gets uh, allegedly drunk. Every uh, thrown off a flight, Delta last week. Thrown off another flight. He well, he's, he's like s- the uh, he's like the, the brothers, the Gallagher brothers. Yeah, well, well he's not a rock famous yeah. rock star. Well, he, he is a rock star. He, he yeah, killed Bin Laden. Okay, well, but he probably has like PTSD or something like what that. What would you rather have on your tombstone that he killed Bin Laden, or you be, you were two <laughs> idiot <laughs> English rock stars who thought they invented music? I'd I think I think you're minimizing <laughs> what Wonderwall means. Oh, oh, okay. Really? You're my wonder why. Yeah, but everybody, everybody's heard that song a thousand times too many. Actually, it it's was on Bin Laden's playlist when he got <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Robert O'Neill so, was listening so, to Wonderwall. It all ties small together. Small, small world. It yeah. all ties together. Before we get to uh, Curtis Sliwa was just amazing. He always is. And well, I love that Nigel Farage interview he played earlier. Now we got uh, Judge Napolitano and Frank Morano, who's in big trouble, and Bill O'Reilly and Carrie Lake, and maybe... Joe Tacopina as well. But I do want to play a couple of cuts. This one really turned me on yesterday. This was porn. And that was Merrick Garland, the attorney general, getting his ass kicked on Capitol Hill by all my buddies there, Jim Jordan. And uh, who else uh, spoke to him besides Jordan, uh, Alec? Uh, Matt Gates spoke. Well, Gates is a psycho, but he was great. And then there were uh, a couple others, but uh, then the Democrats also spoke. To right, him and, those and idiots. Jerry Nadler. A, right, tried to give him a lane out. Jerry Nadler used to be fat and stupid. Now he's just stupid. Yeah. He's <laughs> always been stupid. Well, now he's old and stupid. All right. Here's uh, Jim Jordan and uh, Merrick Garland. This is uh, cut number three, where Jordan accuses Garland of lying under oath. This is great. Cut number three. Quote, Mr. Weiss has full authority to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he feels it's necessary. That was your response, Attorney General, to Senator Grassley's question on March 1st, 2023. You just referenced it when Mr. Bishop was questioning you. Only problem is he'd already been turned down by the U.S. Attorney in the District of Columbia, Mr. Graves. So he didn't have full authority, did he? I had an extended conversation with uh, Senator Grassley at the time. We briefly touched on the Section 515 question and how that process went. Um, I've my never been suggested. My point's real simple, Mr. Garland. You said he had complete authority, but he'd already been turned down. He wanted be. to bring an action in the District of Columbia, and the U.S. Attorney there said, no, you can't. And then you go tell the United States Senate under oath that he has complete authority. I'm going to say again that uh, no one had the authority to turn him down. They could refuse uh, to partner with him. They could you not. You can use whatever you, you, language. They, refuse to partner is turning down. Well, it's not the same under a well-known Justice Department practice. Now, we know that David Weiss, the special counsel that Garland appointed, is basically a Biden butt boy, which makes all of this an absolute joke. And Jim Jordan went after Garland about the David Weiss appointment. This is Jim Jordan and Attorney General Merrick Garland, cut number five. Who decided that David Weiss would stay on as U.S. attorney? Look, uh, this occurred at, before I came Mr. Weiss had been uh, kept on. I promised the... Uh, no, I didn't say, you can walk all through that. I said, who decided? <laughs> the White House decided. Mr. Weiss? Right? They serve at the pleasure of the uh, president, right? Mr. Weiss was... Joe Biden White- decided to keep David Weiss as U.S. attorney. Uh, you weren't sworn in until March. He was, he was, he was, he was, he was, he was, he was told he was going to stay on in February. Expired. 
Pretty fundamental question. Who decided David Weiss was going to stay as U.S. Attorney in Delaware? Mr. Weiss, your time has expired. Chairman, your time has expired. Yeah, sure. I'm waiting for an answer now, and I'll yield. Well, then you asked the question after your time had expired already. Point of order. Gentleman can respond, then I'll go to Ms. Jackson Lee. Mr. Weiss was the um, special uh, uh, U.S. attorney from the District of Delaware when I came on. He had been appointed by President Trump. I promised that he would be permitted to stay on for this investigation, and that is what happened. Oof. I mean, you remember when Mike Tyson got in a fight in the streets with Mitch Green? (laughs) You remember that one? How bloodied up uh, Iron Mike was. Yeah, come here. I'll give you another one, you stupid <laughs> son of a... Come here. Basically, uh, yeah, that's basically Merrick Garland you yesterday. You mission a ditch is what I'm going to call you from now on, you stupid. Hold on. This is the best part of the song. I can feel it. Come. Here we go. Shh, shh, everybody be quiet. We'll talk to uh, the judge about uh, Merrick Garland's performance yesterday. A whole bunch of stuff. As we got, again, uh, four or five great guests about to stop by. Sit in Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. Time was drifting, this rock got to roll. So I hit the road and made my getaway. Restless feeling. Frank Morano will be here at 810, Bill O'Reilly 840, Arthur Idala 910, Harry Lake at 930. So two of the three people in Curtis Lewis' crosshairs this morning, excluding Joe Borelli, Morano and Idala both set to stop by. But we put this time aside every Thursday morning for a media giant, a great judge, great, great judge, but a media giant, Fox News, you know, you heard... Um, who was it just now talking about uh, Roger Ailes? Um, was it my last guest? I forget now. said, I went to Roger Ailes. Oh, Bill O'Reilly was talking about it, how he disagreed with Roger Ailes about um, Mitt Romney. So this guy, uh, Judge Napolitano, big star on Fox News, and I miss all those years, and has his own podcast, which does very, very well. So, Judge, welcome back on this beautiful Thursday morning. How are you, pal? Uh, good morning, Sid. <clears throat> Great to hear uh, from you, my friend. Well, so last night Thank before you. I went to bed, I got a message from my producer passing on to me a note from you saying the judge should listen to Nigel Farage this morning. Now, I was without telling you where I was. I was unable to listen. What the hell did he say? No, he's just crazy. It doesn't matter what he says because his accent, he, he could say the same thing that anybody else says on this show every day. But the accent just makes me crazy. But listen, he, he said what we say. You know, he's in London, but he's, uh, he's very in tune with what's going on here. And he loves Donald Trump. He thinks Joe Biden is a creep, not just uh, old and demented, but corrupt. And, you know, he really believes that uh, he's going to destroy the world. And he said, listen, uh, the Ukraine-Russia stuff, don't forget, we are 3,000 miles closer uh, than you are. And he said the people in Poland are absolutely terrified of what Putin may do next. So it was interesting to get the, the European look, the London look that we talk about here in America every day. He certainly right. seemed a lot more nervous about what the Ukraine-Russia conflict could mean 
than, let's say, people like you and I? Well, I, I share his view. I think he's a great human being. He quite properly led uh, Great Britain out of that socialistic uh, European Union. He got a lot of guff for it, but he uh, prevailed. Uh, Joe Biden's war in Ukraine is on the verge of World War III. And it's because Joe Biden wants to run for reelection as a wartime president. He doesn't understand the danger of what he's doing. 500,000 soldiers have been killed, about 450,000 Ukrainians and about 50,000 Russians, because Joe Biden, who could stop this war tomorrow, even this afternoon, when he sees um, uh, President Zelensky in Washington, Joe Biden is determined to fight this war so that he can be another FDR. We have spent $113 billion. That's one-eighth of the entire defense budget on this war. Joe has just asked for another $28 billion. I know you're not a, a fan of uh, Matt Gates, but those guys may actually stop the $28 billion from coming out because Kevin McCarthy and Chuck Schumer are lockstep together in favor of giving Zelensky another $28 billion, half of which he'll probably steal. I don't know if you saw. That was great, Judge. Thank you. I don't know if you saw Merrick Garland's performance yesterday and uh, Jim Jordan and a host of others. Uh, I thought they really exposed him as a liar and, more importantly, corrupt. You know, again, here we go again. You know, the appointment of David Weiss and when asked about, um, you know, him him actually getting involved in this, he said, I don't even remember talking to the president's son. I think it was Jordan who said, you don't remember talking to the president's son? And his answer, Merrick Garland, was, I just can't recollect. And you know, of course, when people say, I don't remember, they remember very, very vividly, but that's the only lie they can tell. And I thought Merrick Garland really blew it yesterday. And if you have any doubts about whether or not the attorney general is corrupt and a Biden lackey, Man, those doubts have been removed as of yesterday. Yes? He did a terrible, I agree with you, he did a terrible, terrible job. Listen, I know him as a colleague and a judge. He had enormous respect as an academic, as an intellectual, and for being intellectually honest. And quite frankly, in his decisions as an appellate judge, he was very, very supportive of government and very supportive uh, of law enforcement. He has been an abomination as the attorney general of the United States, and he's just the wrong person for them to send up there. And I know they subpoenaed him, so there's nobody else that the Department of Justice can send. But uh, public performance and sparring with somebody as sharp and aggressive and as in touch with the needs of the people as Jim Jordan, I'm a big fan of Jim Jordan's, as you may know, uh, it, it was just no match. Jim Jordan is even a, even a lawyer. He's a gym teacher. He started out, but he did a better job of cross-examining this uh, the, this former federal judge and attorney general of the United States than Merrick Garland did answering. It was just it was unwatchable. And no matter whose side you're on, it was unwatchable. How about this story? This one uh, really raised my eyebrow this morning because. Of course, I'm very, very friendly with President Trump, and I love him. New York Governor Kathy Hochul yesterday signed a bill, Judge, setting the state's presidential primary for April the 2nd, potentially, which of course is no accident, potentially putting former President Donald Trump on the ballot 
as he stands trial in Manhattan for the hush money criminal case, that ridiculous case brought by the fat, stupid Alvin Bragg. So here Hochul does that. It's no coincidence. It's not just an accident that that date is the date that Trump may be in court. How reprehensible is that? I think it's reprehensible, but it's politically meaningless. Nobody's going to oppose Trump for the Republican primary in the state of New York, and whoever did so would be trounced, just like he's trouncing everybody else. It shows Hochul for the left-wing tool and fool uh, that she is. She is probably the worst governor uh, the state of New York has had in the modern era. When was the last time in your, and I mean this, in your long Hall of Fame radio-slash-TV career, that you referenced a politician, because I thought it was amazing, as a tool. There's no double meaning there. I, <laughs> I loved it. Trust me, it was great. It was great. I'll, I'll, say, it, I'll say it a little more elegantly. Yeah, She's no. an instrument of the left. Yeah. She's an idiot is what she is. She's an idiot and then all those ba- an instrument and a tool and all those things. And whether it's the crisis here with the illegals in New York City, I mean, uh, she's all excited that President Biden, we did talk to her, I'll give her credit. Mayor Mayor Adams got nothing. He got nothing. Mr. Biden of Brooklyn, the president couldn't care less. At least she got a chance to talk to Biden, Hochul. But this deal that they made with the Venezuelans, I don't know, I'm not that smart a guy like you, but uh, they're the only group of people that will get work authorizations in less than 180 days. And for me, one word comes to mind, oil. Listen, Joe Biden is a tool of the left as well. (laughs) They want these people to come here because they want them to vote. Across the Delaware River in Pennsylvania, the governor is about to sign legislation that will allow anybody who gets a driver's license to vote. And in Pennsylvania, you don't have to prove citizenship to get a driver's license. Look at that. That will probably start to spread to New Jersey uh, and to New York. So this is only going to get worse before it gets better. I was looking at the numbers, going back to Trump for a second, and uh, folks are like, hey, it's still early. You know, it's still early. Shut up, God. That may be the dumbest stock comment I hear, and I hear it all the time. Folks, listen to me carefully. It ain't early. It ain't. And if you're telling me that in five months, Iowa is going to be some type of watershed. He's killing everybody in Iowa, killing everybody. And now the numbers came out this morning, and he's destroying everybody in New Hampshire. He's up by 36 points on Ron DeSantis. So all this talk, it's early, blah, blah. The guy's been indicted four times already. What else do you need to say, I don't want him? It ain't early, folks. You know what it is? It's over. It is over. It'll be legitimately over, meaning there'll be nobody even challenging him. Uh, after Nebraska, he's he's running the board. I mean, the the more they uh, indict him, the more they attack him, uh, the better off he does. Same thing, by the way, with uh, Bibi Netanyahu. I don't know your opinion uh, of Bibi. I love him. Uh, I love him. He, I love him. He, to every, me, he, every he's, time he, he appears he, in court, every time there's testimony against him, because their trials are different. They do it two days here, yeah. and they're off for a month and another two days. They don't try the cases the way we do. But every time he does those two days in court, no matter how damning the evidence is against him, his approval ratings go up. 
Yeah, I mean, there's no way you can like Donald Trump and not like Bibi. They're the same guy. One just wears a yarmulke every day. <laughs> I mean, they're right. the same exact guy. And I know that not just Bibi, but, uh, you know, they went after his wife, too. I don't know uh, what the deal with that is at this point, if that's over, if it's not over. But, yes, they, they, they uh, it go. It is over. The, case, the okay. case against Mrs. Netanyahu was over was nonsense, absolute nonsense about uh, pink champagne that had been delivered to the house that she billed to the wrong account. It was Please. a bookkeeping error. Does that sound familiar, Alvin Bragg, <laughs> a bookkeeping error? Oh, man. Ay, So uh, where are we with uh, anything new before I wrap up this great conversation? And we'll get to your column, of course, as we always do. Anything new? I'll tell, with you, the... what I'm, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm worried about, and I'm worried that Trump will harm himself legally with the stuff he says on air. You saw my column uh, this morning. One of his defenses is my lawyers advised me to do it. That's advice of counsel defense. That is a bona fide, legitimate defense. If you honestly think that what you're doing is legal because your lawyers told you to do it, that is a defense in a courtroom. Don't go on national television and say my lawyers were rhinos. They were jerks. I didn't believe them. I don't respect them. Because then you just shot yourself in the foot. You don't have that defense anymore. That's what he did on Meet the Press on Friday. And so I wrote this piece this morning to sort of send him a message. The last time I sent him a message, he accepted it. After the indictment in D.C., he went on national television and said, we have a 69-page document that refutes everything in this indictment. We're going to release the document on Monday. I got on television. I said, don't do it. Don't release the document. Don't give the government a roadmap of your defense until you have to. Guess what? Over the weekend, he changed his mind and he didn't release the document. So sometimes you have to have a little tough love with him, and that's why I wrote that column. Great column. I read it, and it's always a great column. And that's why I love Thursdays, because between you and the guy coming up in less than an hour, you both write great columns. So, you know, Brian Kilmeade is on this show every week, and he closes out with the same ending every time. He goes, stay within yourself. And now I've noticed that every time you close out, you close out with some type of nice salutation to Bill O'Reilly. Are you doing that this I morning? Just, I, I just heard what O'Reilly said uh, in his uh, morning update about Rip Mitt Romney, and I couldn't agree with him more. And I was there when he and I was there when he had those disputes with Roger Ailes, and I stuck by O'Reilly then, and I'm sticking by him now. I mean, you are such a suck-up judge; it's almost embarrassing. <laughs> I'm trying to get him to come on my show. Oh, is that what it is? What? Here's, here's, why don't you just ask him? <laughs> I have. I have. All right. Are you, he, he told me that he's going to point me out in the audience when you guys are together next month. <laughs> well, hopefully you're going to be there. You're going to be there October 27th, yes? I'm, I'm running up on the stage. We've already arranged it. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Judge. Hey, as always, that's a, uh, that's a great appearance. Great, great job. Love having you on Thursdays. Have yourself a great weekend and easy fast. You know you're not Jewish. And we'll talk again next week, okay? <laughs> God love you, Sid. I love you more. Judge Napolitano wrapping up hour number two. Been a great couple of hours. We replayed Nigel Farage. Curtis and the judge hit out of the ballpark. Still four more great guests to come. Four of them. Frank Morano, Arthur Idala, Carrie Lake, and the man, Bill O'Reilly. Hour number three of the Thursday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning. About to come your way.
Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Think back on these times and the dreams we left behind. I'll be glad because I was blessed to get to have you in my life. When I look back on these days, I look and see your face. You were right there for me. is uh, the great Faith Hill. Oh, thank God. Shut up. I hate both of you. I really do. I hate you both. It's a great song. I was thinking God did not exist. No, this is a great song. They used it in a horrible movie. The, this was used in that Pearl Harbor movie. Oh, this really elevated With Ben Affleck and Kate Beckinsale. No, this was a big hit. Big hit. What is the exact the, the name of this song, though? There You'll Be? There You'll Be. Yeah, Faith Hill. I love Faith Hill. Actually, I, Faith Hill and Tim McGraw... One of my favorite, like, Hollywood couples. You know, they're still together a long time. I, I like that. I, I'm sorry. I like that. And I had the opportunity at the Super Bowl in New Orleans many years ago. It was a Super Bowl where Joe Flacco and the Ravens beat Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers. And I uh, had the opportunity to have Tim McGraw sit in on my morning show live from the New Orleans, um, I guess you would call it out the conference center, whatever it is. That's why I had the Super Bowl, the radio row. Mm. And he sat in for an hour, and he was great. And I'm a big fan of both of theirs. In fact, he had a song years ago. A lot of you know this already, but some of you don't. The name of the song was Live Like You Were Dying. Great song. That is a good song. And he wrote that song about the relationship between him and his father. And if you don't know, I'm a lifelong New York Mets fan. And uh, Alec likes a Philly team. 
His father, Tug McGraw, you got to believe, made that uh, very famous in New York, mm-hmm. was a great closer for the Mets in 69, uh, 73, 73, excuse me, and the Phillies, I believe in 80, mm-hmm. but had no relationship with Tim, none. He was a baseball player. He was up and around. He was never home. And it wasn't until later in life, and unfortunately when he got very, very sick, when him and his son Tim McGraw became very, very close. And the lyrics in the song are beautiful. Live like you were dying. They did a whole bunch of stuff together. They rode bulls. They jumped out of airplanes. They did all these things together. So when Tug McGraw died, he was great with Tim and his daughter-in-law, Faith Hill. There you go. It's a great story. Yeah, I love Tim. I love uh, their McGraws. Great. Yeah. Uh, great. They're they great are great. together in uh, 1883, too. You know, I never watched it. I'm a big Yellowstone fan, obviously. And I was uh, really proud that Inside Man, the movie I was in this summer, still second to Yellowstone on Amazon in terms of watches. But um love Yellowstone. I'm going to miss it. I'm so upset that Kevin Costner walked away. I never watched the prequel. You thought it was good? It's good. It's That one's a little slow. 1923 is a much better one. Is that the one with Harrison Ford? Yes. Yeah. Much better. I don't watch any of them. Okay. But uh, as great as all these people are, they're all great. None of them, they all pale in comparison. They all pale in comparison to my next guest. He's the host of The Other Side of Midnight. But uh, more importantly, one of the three people in the crosshairs of Curtis Sliwa this morning, he is the very talented Frank Morano. Frank, good morning, buddy. How are you? Uh, good morning, Sid. Honored to be on the show any day, but especially on Faith Hill's birthday. Thank you for having me. Are you a big fan of hers, too? Uh, you know, I do, I did like, uh, obviously I'm a Met fan, so I was a fan of Tug McGraw. So I guess I'm, I'm two steps removed from being a fan. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that'll work for yeah. you. Um, exactly. so Curtis, uh, before we get to all the news I want to discuss with you, there's a lot of it. Uh, Curtis was on this morning and, um, you know, he's always, he's always down on you, but you showed up at a rally a couple of weeks ago on Staten Island and he's like, there's my guy Murano coming up big. And for about a week, he loved you. But he told me that he gave you the responsibility, very akin to Kamala Harris, keeping an eye on the border, which he's done a terrible job. Curtis says he gave you responsibility to hire a lawyer about these drones on Staten Island. You said, hey, I got it. That's in my wheelhouse. I've been complaining about this for years. And according to Curtis, much like Kamala Harris, you've done dick. What is your... Well, that's not true, actually. Uh, I have uh, a couple of calls on this today, but uh, the issue is, so Curtis wants a lawyer that's willing to do this for free, right? So um, I found so far one lawyer that's willing to do it for free, but Curtis and this lawyer have some history, and Curtis doesn't want to use this lawyer. Well, who is this lawyer? Um, you can't just say this lawyer. You have to, you must unveil his name. Uh, well, I, I, I in, yeah, no, case he ends up re- in case he ends up representing Just, just, uh, na- just say this, the lawyer. I don't want to. Because I don't I want, want to I'm watching you, though. Here. Say the lawyer. Uh, no. All right. Thank I'm you. For, gonna, thank I'm you for joining us. I'll see you in the morning. Uh, and and the other the uh, another attorney who's willing kidding. to do it wants to be paid, right? So we have to raise some money to pay him. So if my struggle has been Curtis finding the money. Curtis makes a lot of money here. If Curtis is willing to pay him, then we are all set. <laughs> How much does this guy want? Uh, he wants uh, but three to five thousand just to cover expenses. Three to five thousand? What kind of what kind of yeah. shakedown attorney is this? Well, I, I mean, he one of your mobbed actually, up buddies, clearly one of your mobbed up shakedown <laughs> attorneys. 
But um, there are some other folks in the civil liberties community that have been helpful in trying to get us someone. But the problem is mm. that uh, there is a difference between using uh, drones or using surveillance to spy on someone in private versus using any sort of surveillance in public areas. And the fact that these protests are and maybe Danielle, your your beautiful wife, a great legal, legal mind herself, can speak to this. But the fact that these protests are in public areas, it makes it a little bit less strong of a case than if they were spying on them in, in private areas. But I'm still working on this. I actually have another call with a retired judge on this this afternoon as well. So it sounds to me... Like Curtis is in the wrong here, that you actually no. have been putting in the time and trying to get this done, and you do agree with Curtis that these drones shouldn't be used. You haven't been able oh, to 100%. land somebody yet, but but it sounds to me like Curtis is being unfairly critical of you. Well, I'm not I'm not bothered by Curtis's criticism, but uh, I think what Adams is doing is totally wrong in terms of these drones, not just with respect to the protest, but spying on people during their Labor Day barbecues who've done nothing wrong. <laughs> and uh, it's it's taking uh, surveillance to a whole new level. I think it's way inappropriate. Uh, I am absolutely on the same page as Curtis. And I, I hope we are able to find an attorney that's willing to bring an injunction. If anybody's listening that is an attorney that wants to represent us for free on this, Email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. So the other day I was talking to uh, General Keene, Jack Keene, and he was making, as many others on this show have, Bill O'Reilly coming up later on this hour, Pete King almost on a weekly basis. He was making a very, very good argument why it is important for the United States to remain steadfast in their support and even financial support of the Ukrainians in this conflict against Russia. And I said to Jack, I said, you know what? You're starting to make me, you know, change my mind. And I got a text from you. This is 930 in the morning. I got a text from you that said, don't do it. Don't allow these people to change your mind. You're on the right side right now. You did say that, yes? I did, absolutely. I firmly believe that. And uh, what we are witnessing in Ukraine and the constant drumbeat of neocon, pro-military industrial com- uh, complex propaganda in the United States is staggering. Even during the Cold War, there was at least more tolerance of opposition voices to the conventional narrative than what we're seeing now. Now that Tucker Carlson is off prime time, there is almost nobody in mainstream media that is offering a counter view to the Biden-McConnell-Bush foreign policy that seems to have enveloped uh, the United States with respect to Eastern Europe these days. What we're seeing in Europe right now is just, uh, it's just a, a travesty. For starters, um, the Ukrainians have lost somewhere between 400,000 and 500,000 people. The Russians may have lost as many as 45,000 people. These are real people who died now. And what the United States did here, I mean, look, you're in great shape, obviously, but even in your, in your, in your prime, you could not have fought Mike Tyson in your pot, in his prime. And what we've done here is the equivalent of saying, all right, Sid, we're going to get you the best trainers. We're going to get you the best, uh, 
uh, the best ring equipment, and you can beat Mike Tyson. When in actuality, anybody that put you in that position in Mike Tyson's prime knew you were going to get your your teeth kicked in. Right. That's what we've done here. Our aid to the Ukrainians has only prolonged this war and prolonged this destruction on both sides. What's worse about it is that a lot of this money has been pilfered. A lot of the hundred. Oh, oh, let me stop you. Let me stop you right there because this is an ongoing argument, and now I'm I'm, uh, I'm happy uh, I I maintained uh, my view all this time and didn't switch uh, because now uh, you're, you're showing me that I I am right. Uh, but on this uh, money being pilfered, I have said that to Peter King time and time again, and Pete keeps telling me, no, no, no. There's an oversight committee. There's somebody in Congress. There's somebody who's keeping an eye on the money. And I don't believe any of that to be true. I'm not sure Peter even believes that. Now, you're telling me there is no doubt you have proof that some of this money, if not a lot, has been stolen? Well, you don't have to go with my word for it. Let's look at what the Pentagon has said uh, so far. They have said through an inspector general's report that uh, dozens of rifles, thousands of rounds of ammunition and other military equipment donated to Ukraine just in the early months of this invasion were stolen last year. This is theft by crime groups and volunteer fighters. And um, that's just the beginning of this. Seymour Hirsch has reported, and he's been pretty on the money, not just with this stuff, but a lot of other stuff, that there might be $400 million embezzled uh, just by Zelensky and his cronies. That's $400 million. You have, um, you know, Zelensky's primary primary sponsor in the election and the guy who's guided his whole political career, this fellow Kamoisky. Kamoisky has made a bundle in terms of this aid and <laughs> uh, just got indicted for corruption uh, a month or two ago. <laughs> so um, the fact that Zelensky just let go this very week, five or six of his own uh, deputy defense ministers tells you there's an ongoing corruption problem in Ukraine. Ukraine is a, a collection of oligarchs that is stealing whatever is not nailed down. And the <laughs> fact that we are sending billions that we have no ability to safeguard, to watch, to follow through, um, it, it, they are they are stealing Absolutely everything that that we're going over there. There's billions that's unaccounted for, and it's not me saying this. Even the Pentagon has acknowledged this. Well, I'm and, saying you this. know what? Well, and, and you know, if you're saying it's even more of an authority than the Pentagon, <laughs> and it's not as if we have so much money under the good old American mattress yeah. that we can spare to send over there. Rand Paul made the point this week on the Senate, and he's exactly right. Think about what we're doing. We are, we don't have this money. We have $33 trillion worth of debt. We're br- racking up over a trillion dollars worth of debt every year. So where are we getting this money from? There's no magic pot of money. We are borrowing this money, much of it from China to, in order to send to Ukraine. So think of this whacked out scenario. Yep. Almost everybody acknowledges that China is one of our great, uh, if not our greatest foe on the international scene. And yet, Every dollar that we send to Ukraine, we're borrowing from China and getting even more in debt. Is this something that we want to do to get even more in debt to China just so that we can fund Ukraine? We've already sent $113 billion. Think about it, Sid. That is one-eighth of our entire defense budget. Yeah. We have sent the equivalent to Ukraine. And what? And for what? 
they they're still losing. They're getting I mean, losing. You know that last night, uh, in anticipation of Zelensky meeting Biden at the White House today, that uh, Putin uh, just once again went into Kiev and a bunch of these cities and, and just kicked major ass. Of course, they're losing. And this idea that he's going to go into Poland one day, Putin, this continued paranoia and worry, which, by the way, could happen. Who knows? But, you know, to continue to fund this war based on that is idiotic. Now, I'm happy I, I, I feel the way I feel. I don't, I don't want to hear it. O'Reilly's and, and gonna West, come, but O'Reilly's going to come on in 10 minutes, and then he's going to completely change my mind again, just so you know. Well, the last thing I'll mention, <laughs> though, is you had Lockheed Martin meeting with Morgan Stanley at the Waldorf Astoria in California, and they said that uh, this Ukraine conflict is going to bring them $10 billion of opportunity from now until the end of the decade. So the people that are making money on this, Northrop Grumman, Ray on Lockheed Martin, their stock prices have surged while inflation has gone up for the rest of us. Uh, their stock prices have surged and their profits have surged while the only sector of the economy that seems to be doing really well is their lobbyists. And um, they're basically openly saying that they're making money. I don't think it's a coincidence, and this is not meant to sound conspiratorial. I don't think it's a coincidence that as soon as the gravy train of the Afghan war ended for these military uh, contractors, right after that, they get to make another boatload of money through Ukraine. And a lot of the people who are on television telling you what a great idea it is to endlessly support the Ukrainian government and fight the Russians to the last Ukrainian, they're on the boards of major defense contractors. I think there are serious conflicts of interest here. You know, when you watch NASCAR, these uh, races, these races, the cars have the advertisements of the people that are paying the money. I think it would be great for every military pundit that goes on cable news to say which defense contractors are paying them so that we can take their analysis, quote unquote analysis, with a grain of salt. Wow. I mean, you just completely punched my dear friend Jack Keane right across the face. Well, and it's not just him. I mean, um, there's a lot of other folks. And look, he's a a decorated uh, general, knows more about the military than I do. But it's the problem is groupthink. These folks run in a crowd where they don't hear alternative points of view. And the bottom line is the more that we encourage Ukraine to fight and the more that we give them uh, to continue this war, it leads to more dead Russians, more dead Ukrainians and a very real possibility, and and President Trump has been the most articulate presidential candidate in saying this, it leads to a very real possibility of an armed conflict with Russia. I was watching Mike Pence on CNN on on Sunday, basically saying that Trump's not conservative because he's against war and doesn't want to continue the status quo with, uh, with Ukraine. I mean, we are headed towards a George W. Bush style Iraq quagmire uh, or people from another generation, Vietnam. But to think that we've already spent in 600 days of this conflict more money than we've spent almost anywhere else in the world, it's staggering. And we don't have the money and the Ukrainians don't have the bodies to keep sacrificing. The United States needs to bring about a peaceful diplomatic end to this, which Zelensky and Putin were both willing to consider in February of 2022 before Boris Johnson came and scuttled this deal. Even if you look at the terms of the Minsk agreements before this, um, that was a pathway to peace. 
And what's so frustrating about this, Sid, is we know how this ends. We know Crimea will always be part of Russia. It's a good possibility that the eastern Donbass republics are not going to be part of Ukraine again. And Ukraine's not going to be part of NATO. So rather than continue to pile up bodies to the tunes of thousands of week a week, let's get a negotiated settlement to end this fighting and to get Ukraine to be a neutral country with recognition of Russia, you know, uh, the Russians in Crimea, which is what the primary ethnic group is there, being part of Russia, which is what they want to do anyway. Oh, my God, you got a Mike Green bang out of that. (laughs) That was great, Frank. That was great. That's why you must listen every overnight. That type of smart analysis, whether you agree or disagree, I've had a lot of conversations about Ukraine-Russia. Nobody, nobody gave the details that Frank just gave. Other side of midnight, 1 to 5 a.m. Every night, weekday morning here on WABC. Great Frank Morano. Frank, thank you, buddy. Great job. Thank you, my friend, and uh, happy birthday, Faith Hill. And, uh, again, any lawyers that want to represent us on the drones, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Bill O'Reilly, on the right dollar, Carrie Lake, still a come. you better not complain, boy. You get in trouble with the man. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special. Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Right or wrong, but he's a smart guy, you know. I'm convinced. Smart guy. I heard three or four names. Yeah. Did you catch any of the net? Like, did, does it? Did they go? Oh yeah, that person. Oh no. yeah, that agree. No, he makes up names. The minks. The minks. No, that's a real deal. Yes, the minks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. I, I didn't. Yeah. I understand. I don't know. I no, don't I know, know. I know. But I'm but sure he is. If that guy Minsk would have had a number Minsk. one country hit in '93, he'd be all over it. But... No, probably not. Yeah. I'm just, I, I just, my head perks up and I'm like, what is no, that? He, I don't know. He's, a, he's armed and he's smart. I, no doubt about yeah. that. I'm not just 
disputing Well, that. you're kind of, are you? He's saying he's lying. He's making up names. And... Oh, well, I mean, you, you're an expert at doing that. So well, I, mean, I do do that because I'm know. not that smart. No, I know. I'm just, in, I'm just wildly entertaining. But smart enough, <laughs> to, smart enough to sneak in names where people will go, what, wait a second, who did he just say? Yeah, no, he's not smart enough to do that. No, I am. I, I, okay, that, that's so deceitful. He's, that's, so he's smart, yeah. but not that smart. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 77 <laughs> WABC listeners. Now's your chance to win a pair of tickets before you can buy them. To see George Strait, the I-Man loved George Strait. He was one of his favorites. You know that. Yes. We saw him at the Minsk Arena. That's right. I think he was there with, um, who was the Jewish guy from Texas? Oh, Kinky. Ah, good old Kinky Friedman. I almost had that name out of my head for good. You didn't like Kinky? No, I did like him. He was a cool guy. Yeah, he was a nice guy. He cool. He cool. Yeah, he's nice. So uh, George Strait and uh, Chris Stapleton together, Little Big Town? Get out of here. That's a great show. It is a great Little show. Little Big Town uh, had a hit a couple years ago with... Um, Girls kissing each nah, other. Nah, yeah, but the uh, the African-American rap, he's good. Uh, <laughs> no, I know, that's a real, the African-American rap star. Uh, no, come on. Uh, K, um, uh, uh, KR- KRS-One? No. <laughs> What'd you say? Kendrick Lamar. No, it wasn't Kendrick, you idiot. God. Let's look it up. Little Big Town, finally. Jay- Jay-Z. And no, it wasn't the- Jay-Z. I don't, I'm just, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, <laughs> he won an award a couple years ago. He won the Grammy, this Cat guy. Williams. What's that? I don't know. You're just getting dumber. <laughs> George Strait, Chris Stapleton, Little Big Town. Let's call Frank. He'll sneak in. <laughs> yeah. These uh, folks are setting venue attendance records across seven stadium shows this summer. Country music icon George Strait and eight-time Grammy winner Chris Stapleton continue the excitement as they head to MetLife Stadium on Saturday. Is it Little Nas X? Yes. No. Thank you, Justin, little Nas X. Thank you. Out. I was at MetLife uh, last Sunday when the Giants got their asses kicked by Dallas. This will be better. June 8th. Uh, can, how could that be June 8th? Are, are we actually doing this for June 8th? That's what it says. Like a year in advance? That's what it's, I don't write these. Oh, my God. I hope I'm alive for this. I, I, certainly, I certainly hope that's the right date. If not, then we're going to have to do it June all over. 8th? Welcome to the Memorial <laughs> yeah. uh, Concert. Sid Rosenberg wished he could have been here. Well, listen, the date will be on the ticket, so if you win the tickets, then you'll find out the date. That's what it says. <laughs> also returning alongside the King of Country and Stapleton, our special guest and Grammy Award-winning band, Little Big Town. Tickets are on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m. at Ticketmaster. But be the seventh caller right now, right now. And we're going to send you to a concert in 2029. <laughs> don't, make, don't make plans. Yeah. <laughs> 1-800-848-WABC. And a pair of tickets are yours. 1-800-848-WABC. That's caller number 7-800-848-9222. Bill O'Reilly's next. Talk Radio 77 WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends.
Gallagher Brothers Oasis, don't go away. 844, gorgeous Thursday morning. He was the best. He still is the best. He'll always be the best. Whether it's 9 p.m. weeknights here on WABC or his own amazing website, which I'm on every day, starting early with his morning message, BillOReilly.com. His interviews, his TV show, his columns are always cutting edge and great. His killing series, everyone's killed it, including the new one, Killing the Witches, which comes out September the 26th in just a couple of days. And, of course, he has uh, given me the honor, the real honor, of standing beside him on stage October the 27th at the Paramount Theater in Huntington, Long Island, the all-time best, my friend Bill O'Reilly. Bill, good Thursday morning, buddy. How are you? I'm delirious. I got oh. so many things going on here. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's ridiculous. And I'm whining, I know, um, but you have to vent sometimes. And uh, okay. get in friends a good form to vent. Okay, and that's good. What I'm doing. good. Um, as you mentioned, we got Killing Witches coming out Tuesday. And then on Monday, um, Tucker Carlson is interviewing me. And we made that announcement last night. Uh, it's going to be on X, Twitter, whatever it is. Um, and this is going to be a world event, that's for sure. That's a big deal. Uh, you know, it's you know he just did Trump, obviously, the night of the first debate with the second debate coming up next week. And everybody always says the same thing, Bill, not to blow smoke up your butt. But everybody always says the same thing. O'Reilly's the best of all time. And after him is probably Tucker. So to get you two guys... In the same conversation, him interviewing you, that really is two of the all-time greats. Well, the interesting part about it is I have no blanket idea what's going to happen. So I don't go in and say, oh, I mean, I know we're going to talk about killing the witches. I sent him a free copy, and he better have taken a look at it. (laughs) Um, But other than that, no idea. What do you mean? They didn't send you topics or anything like that? Nothing? I, I don't usually do that. I don't yeah. do that with you. I no. don't say, what do you want to know? No. I, you know, whatever you want to know. I think that the interesting part about a talk like this, and I appreciate him doing the interview, is that I am not a deceptive man, and he is not either. You don't have to agree with anything we say. You don't have to like us, but you're going to have two guys up there who there's no real, you know, attempt to spin or to do anything like that. So whatever comes up, whatever's on his mind, we will deal with it. It's going to be fascinating, and it's going to be great, and I can't wait. Bill O'Reilly and Tucker Carlson. Now, if you two guys aren't the smartest men in the world today, then Donald Trump must be. And let me tell you why I'm saying this. You know, when you look back at when Donald Trump, Bill, started to ascend and his difference between DeSantis and the rest of these folks became insurmountable. It wasn't the first Alvin Bragg indictment. It was when he went to East Palestine, Ohio. It was brilliant. He actually cared about the everyday American, and he's doing it again. Next week, when these guys are back on stage debating for a second time, which no one cares about, Donald Trump is going to be in Detroit standing besides the UAW workers who are on strike once again, Ohio, Detroit, the blue-collar, everyday man in America, Donald Trump, is going to be there. This man is a genius, is he not? Well, I don't, in some areas he is, and in some areas he's not. But you would agree what I just like this one. This one, though, you what? would agree is pretty genius, no? Oh, yeah. Look, 
Wall Street Journal excoriated Trump today in their lead editorial saying, well, what are you afraid of? And I'm reading this and I'm going, this is, and the Wall Street Journal is the best editorial page in the country. But this is not, I don't know, I got to be careful on my wording here. This editorial makes no sense at all. It's my lead story on the No Spin News tonight, which of course runs on WABC at 9 p.m. Um, it makes no sense. Donald Trump's afraid? He's not afraid. I mean, he, he, did, he could take these people apart. You saw him do it in 16, all right? And he's accessible all over the place. He's being doing interviews with Megyn Kelly. He's doing Tucker Carlson. He does it with me when I call him. He, he's in town halls. What do you mean, afraid? So this, this editorial was written for a political reason. The Wall Street Journal doesn't want Donald Trump to get the nomination because they're afraid he's going to lose like last time, and they certainly don't want Democrats to win. That's why this was written. But from a purely tactical, political point of view, Trump is smart to avoid a debate where Chris Christie would probably try to set him on fire, literally, with a flamethrower, <laughs> like the Tarantino movie um, about Hollywood. I mean, you know, it's going to be stunt after stunt after stunt by... Christie, and I don't think the others would, would pile on, but it would all be, we have to take Trump out. That would be the theme of the debate. Well, why do you want to walk into that when you're 49 points ahead in the polls? Why? That would be like um, the Atlanta Braves are going to win the division asking for four more games to play the Kansas City Royals. Excellent. Yeah, we want to yes. play that. Excellent we analogy. Right, right. We want to go in there. But not only so, is he skipping the debate because he's got this insurmountable lead, but what he's doing, once again, the blue-collar American worker standing side by side, I just think it's it's brilliant. I think he does care, but I think politically it's brilliant. Yeah, he, he makes good political moves, and then he makes bad political moves. Um, he shouldn't be talking about his litigation, and he shouldn't be talking about the charges. He shouldn't be calling the special counsel a thug. I mean, all of that is not doesn't help him. So, look, all of these guys and gals who want power or run for office, they all have strengths and weaknesses. It's my job to point out both. No, that's fair, and he does do some things that, uh, and I'm a huge fan, and, and I would agree that, and I've been critical of Donald Trump many, many times in the past, many, many times, including last December, which was a brutal month. But I do believe uh, this move, going out to those folks in Detroit, is is a great move. And a lot of folks keep saying the same thing, Bill, I know you heard me earlier, and that is it's still early. It's not early. Stop it. No. Iowa's, Iowa's a couple of months away. He's killing everybody in Iowa, and now the polls came out this morning in New Hampshire, and he's 36 up on Ron DeSantis. He's already been indicted four times. You got the E. Jean Carroll case out there as well. What can possibly happen in the next four months that's going to derail this guy in Iowa or New Hampshire that hasn't already? He could go on the view. I don't know. I mean, anything <laughs> could happen. But you're absolutely right. This is it now. We are into the campaign. So it's not early. I didn't do polling all summer, um, and now I'm starting to do it because people are starting to focus. And there's so much corruption in the Biden administration. You take Biden out of it and his policies, which don't work, but you could debate that all day long. The corruption, if you watched that Merrick Garland thing yesterday, I mean, that was insane. Oof. Oof. I mean, number one, this is the Sergeant Schultz defense. 
Remember Hogan Heroes? Of course. Hogan's Heroes? The great Richard Dawson. I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing. Uh, I'm the attorney general, but I don't get involved with anything. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> How insane is this? Yeah. Say you appoint um, a U.S. attorney to look into the biggest political scandal in 20 years. Uh, this rivals Monica Lewinsky. Okay. And you say you don't even provide oversight for it? Nope. You're not even getting a daily on it? Come on, Sergeant Schultz. <laughs> this isn't this doesn't stack. <laughs> and you had to sign off on the insane plea deal and you're a former judge. You had to see that. And there he is looking like Don Knotts out there, Barney <laughs> Fife. I mean, did he not look like Barney Fife? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even give him one bullet for the gun. Okay, he wouldn't get any bullets. And I'm right. sitting there, I go, "This is the Attorney General yeah. of the yeah. United States." Yeah. I, I, I said I wouldn't intrude. I don't know it. No, nothing. I do not know anything. I would have thrown something at him, and then I would have been arrested and prosecuted. Well, I know. I felt the same way. I was, I was so frustrated. Clearly, he was lying and uh, didn't even try to hide it. It was embarrassing for him. It certainly showed, like you talked about, the corruption at every level. But I do want to bring you to the Ukraine-Russia war. I don't know if you heard Frank Morano, who was on about 30 minutes ago, but he made a very, very, very compelling case now, this thing has gone on way too long. We spend way too much money, which we can't account for. Of that $113 billion, who knows what really went to wartime efforts and what went into somebody's condominium in Fort Lauderdale. He made a very compelling case, which I've been making for the better part of two years, and my late partner, Bernard, that enough is enough. And I know you feel differently, but... There's a lot of stuff going on here, Bill, that is not explained. And Poland, you know, and Putin going into Poland is not a good enough explanation for me. I'm sorry. Okay. So let's break it down. Uh, I did hit Murano, and Murano's correct. There's nobody auditing uh, Ukraine. And uh, Zelensky just fired his defense minister, which says that the defense minister was sending money to his personal account in Switzerland. And that's what that is. Okay. So Ukraine is a history of being corrupted. It, it is. All right, that's, so that's number one. Number two, we don't really have a choice if we want world order. Okay, and this, and this applies to everybody's pocketbook. So if you have disorder in the world, which Putin absolutely wants, okay, then all economies wobble, and the world gets far more dangerous economically. And China says, you know what? The West doesn't have the guts. So we're going to take Taiwan. And then there'll be hundreds of thousands of civilians killed there because the Taiwanese will fight. And then what does uh, America do? What do we do? Do we shoot at the Chinese? So this is all about world order. If there were a way to stop the war in Ukraine, I would support it. Well, they keep saying that the tractors, and Frank said it again this morning, and uh, others have said it on this show too, that there needs to be a peaceful resolution. And and I don't know if that's if that's realistic. Yeah, if Putin's going to say blank you, which he has, he's made no attempt to negotiate anything. If Putin came in and said, look, I'll stop today. But you got to give me time to uh, withdraw my troops, and then we'll have a vote on whether the territories that we occupy want to be with Ukraine or Russia. 
I think you could probably work something out. But that's not what Putin wants to do. Putin's in business to create chaos. And he wants to create, and, he, and he's succeeding at that at some level because now the dissent in America, yeah. all monetary, oh, look how much money we're spending. Okay, I get it. I don't want to spend the money either. But the alternative is going to cost America far more money. The question, far more money. Well, the question for me is, so. The Taiwan, Sid, yeah. that, that is a game changer for the planet. No, that's World War Three. I get it. But the question for me is, while Putin may not be willing to do that unless uh, we made a deal, the question for me is, I believe Joe Biden, uh, and this goes about, uh, far beyond his uh, dementia, I believe he's incapable See, look, if Donald Trump was president, this war never would have started. Anybody who argues that is either stupid or just hates Trump. It never would have happened. That's the bottom line. How do I know that? Because he was president for four years, and the guy before him, the guy after him, uh, they both went in, uh, Crimea and the Ukraine. Um, if Trump is in charge right now and wants to sit down with Putin and work something out, he can do it. Biden can't do it. So that, to me, is maybe even a bigger issue than what Putin wants to do. We don't have a guy here that can stop it. Well, it's right. I mean, once uh, Biden surrendered in Afghanistan and the world saw this total debacle, then Putin and others were emboldened. And Biden now is in a position where he is so diminished that these people don't fear him. And Trump, they would fear. So that's it's as simple as that. The world leaders feared Trump. They didn't like him. They feared him. Nobody fears Biden. You know, it's funny. The, I had dinner with a guy a couple of weeks ago, Bill, and the guy says, smart guy, he's a lawyer, you know, but he hates Trump. And he goes, how do you like this guy? He sits down and negotiates with Kim Jong-un in North Korea. He says nice things about Putin. I said, how do I like this guy? I love this guy. Because he did whatever it took. He kept his enemies closer. He would, yes, every now and then compliment these people because he knew that doing that would ensure safety around the world, which we had for four years. How can you possibly criticize the way Trump did things when, in fact, there was no violence? They can't answer that. Well, that's right. I mean, and, and, and all you have to do that is to apply that to the economy, too. I mean, what are, you, what are you talking about? He gets out of office and inflation is 1.4%. And so what are, you, what are you talking about? And now uh, the American people are talking about the working people. The necessities of life are up five, six-fold. So, uh, look, once you get into the hate Trump zone, it's all emotion. It's no, no, they're never, ever going to give any current Trump credit for anything, ever. And that's just the way people are. They hate him. Do they hate him enough not to vote him back in in 2024 if they're honest, honest about this country and where we stand in the world today? Well, he's polling okay on the national level. On one, There's an Emerson poll out uh, that shows him ahead of Biden by one, which is a dead heat. Um, so it's not – he's not – uh, ruined by any means. And if he would just modify a little bit, you know, the best advice I give Donald Trump, and I hope he's listening to the show or somebody tells him about it, is that he should hold a press conference 
um, because he hasn't done that in a while. You know, at Mar-a-Lago, when he goes back down there and he saw the press conference and he, in the body of the press conference, could say, look, I want to make an apology here because I have made some mistakes. And they weren't made out of malice. Uh, they were made um, simply because I'm a human being. You got over emotional sometimes. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics because I'm, I'm going to deal with this legal stuff. I don't believe any of this stuff is legitimate. All right. And we're going to win it. But I did make mistakes like every human being makes them. That's all he has to say. Then it becomes human to people because everybody makes mistakes. And the more human he can become, the less caricature, the stronger he'll be because his record is strong, is good. Well, uh, while I love what you just said, there's a better chance the Giants beat the 49ers by four touchdowns in San Francisco tonight than Trump ever doing anything even close to that. <laughs> Maybe we can hypnotize him. Hypnotize. Okay. No, nobody does listen to you. He does listen to you. Well, Let you me should... introduce you to the Swami here. And then the guys get the big medallion going back and forth. You know what I mean? No, he does listen to you. You should... I'm serious. You should reach out to him because I need him to win. We need no, him to win. That. I don't reach out to anybody, number one, because I'm, a fr- I'm frightened he'll take my wrist and then turn it hard. <laughs> um, and number two, it's not my job to do that. No, you're right. My job is to right. analyze what right. yep. Trump and everybody else who wants power is doing. Well, maybe what you should do then on the way out here after another unbelievably great conversation is just uh, have him on stage with you and I October the 27th. Yeah, you know, look. I might do something with Trump. Uh, we're looking at it now. Um, we've always been very successful in our conversations, uh, him and I. Um, I don't know if him and I are grammatically correct, but you know what I'm talking about here. Um, and I just want the best for this country. And right now, Joe Biden's the second worst president in history. And, and next to James Buchanan, who lighted up the Civil War. And I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm going, 40% of Americans think the man's doing a good job. Unreal. Talk about being hypnotized. Mm-hmm. God. Yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll soldier on. We'll, we'll get all these things on stage at the Paramount Theater on October 27th. Some front row seats available, by the way, for that. Um, and we're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. And uh, next week, we got to talk about witches. you got to read it. I know Danielle wants to read it. Yes, she does. It's actually guys, coming. I'm, I'm going to get it for it. It's coming out the day before her birthday, which is a big deal. Okay, so you don't give it to her for a birthday because that would lead to divorce. Got to got to up that gift. Um, but anyway, uh, which is the interesting book? Because a lot of people think that uh, our politicians are possessed by the devil, and they're not wrong. No, they're right. Uh, Witches is coming out next week again on the 26th, October 27th, just about a month to the day after Witches comes out. It's Bill O'Reilly and Sid Rosenberg on stage together, Paramount Theater in Huntington, Long Island. And as always, Bill O'Reilly, the reason why this segment gets the highest ratings all week long on this station is because it's the best. Thank you so much, buddy. Great job. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. Thank Bye. you. The great Bill O'Reilly, folks. Check them out tonight. And every weeknight at 9 p.m. right here on WABC. We are not nearly done. No, no, no. Fourth and final hour to come, including Artie Idala, his response to Curtis Sliwa. 
and Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake out of the great state of Arizona. But first, some more Oasis. Don't go away. Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Great song by Earth, Wind, and Fire. One of the great songs ever, as Justin Ellick does the white man overbite across the glass. Looks like he's literally having some type of seizure. <laughs> what if I want? What if I, I mean, <laughs> Could you tell the I'm difference? serious. I thought you were having like an epileptic seizure in there or something. Doing the chicken dance. That's now. him dancing. <laughs> well, like when Ed Scazzeri would have his pump taken out. <laughs> he would turn blue, I know. Ha, ha, ha. There's actually a reference to September the 21st, that specific date in this great song, and today happens to be September the 21st. Oh, we've had a great show already replaying that Nigel Farage interview early in the 6 o'clock hour. Curtis Sliwa was uh, great today. Judge Napolitano, Frank Morano, Bill O'Reilly, my friend Carrie Lake from the great state of Arizona still to come. But Curtis Sliwa came on this morning with three people in his crosshairs, one being Joe Borelli, councilman out of Staten Island. He's not been on today. One being Frank Morano, host out of Staten Island. He was on today. And the other happens to be one of my best friends, and I mean that sincerely, and I love this guy, not because he's a great attorney. He is a great attorney. Him and Takapina are the two best in the world, but because he is, as we say in Yiddish, a git and a shimmer. He's got a great heart, great soul. His parents raised him well, and that's Arthur Idala. But I guess Artie is holding a fundraiser tonight for Eric Adams, and you may as well just down, you may have burned down Curtis's house. You just burn it down. You have the same, you have the same exact response. So here he is, famed defense attorney, Artie Idala. Arthur, What's good up, morning. <laughs> first, first and foremost, any time I get to be mentioned in the same sentence as Frank Morano, I consider it an honor. And all kidding aside, his segment that he just did with you, I called him on, uh, on the phone, was amazing. And I said, I'm not telling you how to run your spectacular show, 
But the way you threw me on with O'Reilly like a month ago and had us go toe-to-toe, you got to find someone on the other side of that issue of Ukraine and have him and Frank debate it out. Because Frank was, was brilliant. And that's after he did four hours of radio and hasn't slept. I mean, he made some great, great points. Um, the only thing where I would disagree with him was, is, and, and you're the big Donald Trump guy, I'm not, I would feel much better if Donald Trump was negotiating the peace between those guys. He's a well, deal maker. That, that, that's Trump. what I just said to Bill O'Reilly. I said, the, you know, yeah, first of it. all, it, well, you heard it. It's unrealistic to think that Putin's ever going to sit down with anybody and come to a peaceful resolution. He's a madman. He's going to keep going. It's unrealistic. But, but I'll take Trump in that position any day of the week over the hey, moron we've got now. How about this? And I'll go further. Maybe over anyone. Like, I mean, the guy wrote the art of the. Oh. To make a deal, he knows who's got leverage, who doesn't have leverage, and and you know what Frank said that number was staggering. I did not know four hundred thousand Ukrainians yeah. dead. I mean, yeah. and, and the analogy that he gave between you and Tyson, you know, it's it was right on, and and uh, you know that to me is a little bit more uh, a little more important than the, the migrants vespers in front of the Roosevelt Hotel. Half a million people dying on both sides of that is just. Oh. Something needs to be done to stop that. Well, you're right, and uh, but these are two different stories. <laughs> it's funny you bring up the Vespers in front of the Roosevelt Hotel, because <laughs> as if you were in this studio, literally 30 minutes ago, Curtis said, hey, well, you got Curtis on the phone, ask uh, Arthur on the phone, ask him about the, the Vespers he didn't seem to see, but Chris Mullins' sister-in-law, she saw 200 of them. Where exactly was Artie Idol? Isn't he the same guy that told me the subways were safe? It's almost like you were inside these studios, Artie. <laughs> Oh, if, you know, all you got to do is turn on WABC any day of the week, and you'll hear Curtis Sliwa at some point along the way. So it's it's not hard to get into Curtis's brain because he's always spewing it on the radio. But here's the bottom line. My office is literally a half a block away from the Roosevelt Hotel. I have no problem telling you there's always a cop car there. I mean, does it, think about it. Does it take brain surgeon, a brain surgeon to realize if you're the chief of that precinct to keep a cop car in front of the Roosevelt Hotel? So I have I always feel safe and secure there. I'll tell you where I don't feel safe and secure when I got to walk the other way past Port Authority. That place is a cesspool. Uh, Parks of Penn Station. That place is a cesspool. The Roosevelt Hotel. Yeah, it's not pretty. I mean, there's a bunch of people just sitting around staring at each other. I mean, they just literally just sitting there. I mean, boredom. It's like basically like being in prison. I mean, they're just standing there because I walk by every day. I take the four train. To get from the Fort Payne Grand Central to my office, I walk right by it. There's all kinds of private security people there. And um, I, I got to tell you, I don't see the, these all these, vest, these vestments. Maybe they're around the corner, but they're not on 45th Street between Vanderbilt and Madison Avenue. I mean, No, but they, they are around the corner, though. And uh, these folks ride these things with no licenses. They're illegal. They yes, run into people. 100%. Yeah, they cause all and kinds of issues. They're all over this city, by the way. And I don't know if this is just a migrant issue, because where I am in Bay Ridge, I don't think there's a lot of migrants there right now. There's these kids riding these things inside the playground on 85th Street and Colonial Road, which totally pisses me off. But I'm not sure that's a migrant thing or this, this is the new Vogue hip thing to do is to get these little stupid – some of them are electric, some of them are motorized and ride around like a lunatic guest with no license plate. The kids aren't wearing helmets. And, look, I know you feel sorry for the cops too. Like the cops are supposed to be chasing down kids on, on mopeds, whatever. You know, it's 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 not an easy fix. But in terms of my friend Curtis, who you know everyone should know, he rags on Murano. They they're like thick as thieves. I mean, they're best buddies. 
So I, you know, I, when I hear him ragging on him and ragging on Carmine, it's absolutely hysterical. And uh, I, Harry Curtis is coming to my office tonight. Um, I'm happy to hear that. I'm hoping he's going to bring his check. It's made out to uh, Eric Adams, the mayor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, all kidding aside, you know who I take a lot of my cues from? I'm going to say I'm kissing ass. John Katsimatidis. You know, his show is on, you know, some people can't get 770. His show's also on 970. I, I listen to that almost every night. He's, he's got a ton of common sense. He's been a little bit more successful in life than Curtis Sliwa has. And I don't hear John Katsimatidis you know, ripping apart the mayor and saying he's the worst mayor of all time and all the stuff that comes out of Curtis's mouth. So I listen to John from five to six, and then I go on from six to seven, and I, I take my cues from Katz. And he's like, look, he's the mayor. Let's let's figure out how to – he may be making a lot of mistakes, but let's talk to him and tell him he's making mistakes. Because let me tell you something, Sid. I'm not worried about anyone running against Eric Adams except someone from the left who almost won. Maya Wiley almost one, you think Eric Adams is liberal? Are you kidding me? You know what this woman is like, Maya Wiley? Holy cow. She wanted to take the guns away from the cops. Look, I love Katz as much as you do, and, and I am uh, and I talk uh, nicely about John Katz Matides, who will join me tomorrow on this show at 810 every day. Um, but just because I love him and just because he owns a station and just because he's my boss, I don't agree with him a lot of the time. Eric Adams is a crappy mayor. He, I don't care, he may not be the worst of all time. Maybe it's de Blasio. I don't care who it is. He is a crappy mayor. Crappy. He has lied time and time again in just about every spot in this city. Now, he's got a great smile, and I've had dinner and lunches with the guy, and he's a very, very affable guy. I get it. But if you're going to put that aside for a second and get past the part of, wow, this is pretty cool, I'm hanging out with the mayor, and he runs this city, he is a crappy mayor. He is part of the reason why we've got all of these problems, all of them, all of which, by the way, he promised okay. he was so, going to fix after de Blasio. He has not solved He has not solved one major issue in this city, or has he come close? So you may like him, and you want to have a fundraiser for him. God bless you. You know, I love you to pieces, Artie, but you could talk to your blue in the face. He has been a crappy mayor. Crappy. Okay, so let me ask you this question, Sid. Do you think you're more effective... By going on the air and saying he's a crappy mayor. I got to tell the truth. No, I got to tell the truth. No, 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 no. No, I should lie. I should lie and say, no, 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 no. I'm not saying saying you should lie. But as opposed to having maintained your lunches and dinners with him. Well, no, he he stopped. He stopped, not me. He stopped. Okay. I can't get a text back. I tried. Weeks and weeks ago, I, I was back and forth with Adams every day for about two weeks, and Fabian Levy. And every day, it was, there was a different excuse why he wasn't coming on and getting lunch. And I remember I, I said, uh, it was after two weeks, I said, enough of this. Are you kidding me? Because two days later, he, you know, he's on with Joe and Mika, those folks at MSNBC. And Joe and Mika, if Eric Adams farts, they say it smells like roses. That's not me. So uh, you can't blame me. I tried. And Levy and Adams stopped getting back to me because they know, they know that I'm not going to give you the stock answer, which is he's trying. He's better than the last guy. What kind of garbage is that? No, uh, my only point is for you to give him your input. Now, in other words, I know you don't want the, the migrants on Floyd Bennett's field. So, number one, obviously, you would make that known. But we have to then give the guy some options. We have to say, it's, now, i got to give Curtis credit. Curtis said, why don't we put up tents on Rikers Island? Okay, I don't know if that's feasible or not, but at least it's a plan B. In other words, I, I my issue is with people who just – 
shut the guy down with no with no like okay plan B. Look at my life. Look how I earn a living. I don't come in and the guy says, "Look, I'm accused of murder." You know, I, I'm on video stabbing a guy 18 times. I don't say, "Why did you do it?" I say, "Okay, how are we going to make this horrible situation not as horrible?" And and I have to figure out this problem. I think you have the wherewithal, the Rolodex, if people still remember what a Rolodex is, to help the mayor make things better. I tried. And, and, I tried. And, and, and by the way, Katsimatidis was the Rikers thing from the beginning. And I must tell you, Artie, I know you listen to the show every chance you get. You're busy. I get it. But I've said there are three groups of people who should be in Rikers every day. Three groups. The criminals, obviously. But the illegals. Stop it, migrants. The illegals. And the homeless. Give them all places. you got plenty of acreage on that island and, and rebuild this thing. Stop talking about closing it down and put them all there. But to put them in Bell Harbor because they didn't vote for you at Floyd Bennett Field or these other spots, I'm not okay with that. I'm not. And then, again, for the thousandth time, I don't want to hear federal government, Artie. I don't want to hear national government. I want Eric Adams to say these two words, and I promise you, I promise you, I'll develop a whole level of respect. I want to hear him say Joe Biden, not, oh, I wish the president would stop by a migrant shelter. Say, hey, Joe, you're effing killing us. You're destroying okay, listen, the city. Listen, I, I don't know how accurate this is, but if you read this morning's paper, I know you're on the air, so sometimes it's a little hard. What they, what they reported in this morning's paper is the reason why Biden snubbed Adams on his visit was because Adams has been ragging on him so much. And he gave Kathy Hochul a bouquet for thanks for hosting us at the U.N. Kathy Hochul didn't do anything. It's the NYPD. It's the city that hosted. It's not the state. But because it says the White House is upset with Adams because he continues to call them out. That's in today's newspaper. The other thing that's in today's newspaper is Christine Quinn, who's far to the left of Eric Adams, is contemplating running for mayor. And my idea, the reason why I'm having a fundraiser for Eric is I think of everyone in the Democratic Party who may be the mayor of the city of New York, he's the most conservative. And, and it's hard to make an argument against that. And that's why I would like the most conservative guy in there, because, you know, it is so hard for a Republican to win. Rudy Giuliani. Uh, but you, but you, can, you can't. But I, I get it, but you can't just throw your hands up in the air and say a Republican can't win. So I'm going to give it to this guy because he's crappy, but he's the best of a crappy bunch. I'm not doing that. I'd rather have Curtis. I don't care if you think he's a clown. He was a beret, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. He's been right Curtis, about everything. But Curtis, but Curtis is not going to win. How do you know that? It's the same thing about but Trump in 2016. He's not going to win if people like you keep giving Eric Adams but, money. But this is the city of New York. Rudy Giuliani won by the skin of his teeth because the people of Staten Island put him in. You don't think the people of New York right now, Democrats included, are sick of what's going on? You don't think if there is a time. If there is a time for a Republican to win, it's not now. So why not put all of your resources? You're a big-time guy. Me too. All these people. Why not put all of our resources the one time? Right now, we got this. The city's a mess. Democrats know it. You're going to keep voting the same Democrat in because he's the most conservative of a lousy bunch? Come on. Come That's on. Reality. That's reality. No, it's not. Then, then, you, you can make so many sports analogies around this thing. Yeah, you know, you want to have this guy, but you only got that guy, so you got to make the best of, of with what you got. But at least, at least, at least, try to get the other guy. You know, if Eric Adams wins, and you want to support him. God bless you. That's smart. That's smart. But don't go out of your way to make sure he wins. What the hell has he done to deserve that? What has he done to deserve that? Because he's better than Maya Wiley. Oh my God. 
But but Sid, do you realize Maya Wiley was ahead in the second round of vote oh, counts? Uh, I realize it. Yes. Do you know what yeah. this city? You know what this city would have been like if she was the mayor? Yeah, the same thing it is now. The same thing it is now. The same no thing it is way. now. No oh, what would what would have been worse? What the migrant crisis? The crime? What? I, I'm sure you reported. As you know, I can't listen to four hours every day. I'm sure you reported how how arrests in the subway are up exponentially and crime in the subway is down. Are you nuts? Are week. you nuts? Hey, Audie, 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 Audie. All those numbers are lies. Police are not arresting anybody anymore. They're not. If you take the subway, which you do every day just like I do, it is a terror tr- ride. Every time, the numbers are cr- they're lies. Police are not arresting anybody because they can't win, and they don't want to deal with the, with the aggravation. So don't tell me about numbers. Just describe a terror ride, because I have not had a terror ride. Oh, I, I see, mean, guys. I see. A- oh, wait a second. I had a lady walk on the train yesterday in my in my four stops between 51st Street and Lexington Avenue and Wall Street that ran on the train and was yelling and screaming, I'm a human being, too. I need a new tampon. We got to 42nd Street. Two cops rushed onto the train, dragged her off because the conductor said people were scared. Every day somebody's masturbating, yelling, screaming, maybe not getting murdered, maybe not Daniel Penny every day. But if you travel the subway like you say you do like me, every single day I see people on that train that, quite frankly, should not be out in public. Every day. Every day. Okay, look, I, I, I mean, I'm fortunate, I guess. I haven't had that experience on the R train and the D train and the Ford train. Those are my primary trains. I mean, do I see homeless guys sleeping there? Yeah, there was a homeless guy sleeping there yesterday. But he was sleeping. Okay. You know, he's sleeping. You don't think that's going on in Chicago and in, in L.A.? Well, they don't have trains. Well, I don't live in – I don't care what's going on. I live in New York. I don't care what they do in Chicago or Atlanta. I want a mayor, damn it, that's going to do something about this and stop blaming everybody else like whites and I Jews. Would like you to have, I would like you to have NYPD Chief of Transit Michael Kemper on as a guest. I I'm love him. I, your, I had dinner I'm with him two weeks ago. Of your radio show. Okay. Put him on. Because Sid, he'll be so offended if you tell him his cops aren't making arrests. Oh, no, he won't. He knows the truth. I just had dinner with him and all your friends, Keith Kantrowitz and Paul Carlucci and Anthony Carone. And Mike's an honest guy. Mike's a very honest guy. And he takes his orders from the mayor, just like Eddie Caban does and everybody else. Everybody else. Just like, by the way, Keyshawn was supposed to do, but she said, no, thank you. I'm my own person. And she walked out, and she was great. Eric Adams screwed well, that one up too. Screwed it up. I know Kemp. I know Kemper's going to be on the radio tonight, bragging about his his statistics That's about okay. how much crime has dropped in, yeah, it's all in nonsense. the subways in 2023. Yeah, great. Well, you just told me he's a good guy. He you is a good guy. You he, broke listen, him, and, and now he's full of crime. yes, because anybody who works for this regime is going to be put in a situation where they got to lie. Mike's a great guy, a great guy, but they're not making arrests. That's the truth. That's the bottom line. That's why the numbers are down. That doesn't mean Mike's a bad guy. That's the person he works for. Before, before you let me go, yeah. let me let me rewind one thing about yeah. a Republican running for right. mayor and winning. Right? Are you going to put Rudy Giuliani in 1993 yeah. in the same sentence as Curtis Lewa? And who I love, Curtis Lewa. He could say no, everything. No, of, of course, of course not. Of, of course but, not. It, but course it took not. that. It took that kind of guy. And it's such a horrible mayor, statistically, as David Dinkins to have a Republican win in this. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not very, sure. I'm not. Hard. I'm not sure Adams is that much better than David Dinkins. But anyway, listen. I love you to pieces. You're brilliant. You. And good luck tonight. I mean, Donna, Good luck. And you do what you think is right because I know you love this city. And I, listen, you got a great family. Your parents. I know you do. You do what you think is right. But until one of these pussies from City Hall reaches out to me. 
Because I've tried, and I'm done trying, okay? And I got the bully pulpit. Until one of these pussies you're going to see tonight reaches out to me and makes a real effort to have a real conversation, I'm going to go on the air every day and expose the truth. The truth. Okay, but Sid, my mother, listen, my mother listens to this show. You know what she told me when I told her I'm going out with Sid? She's like, he doesn't talk like a boy who comes from poly prep. He, he uses harsh. He uses harsh language. Oh, she doesn't know. Harsh oh, language. She doesn't know. She should have heard me and Danny Fagliano and Gary Hanna and the rest of those guys in I mass. I saw Gary Hanna when I was walking to my car this morning. I gave him a hug and a kiss. Oh, I should have talked. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's an attorney too. He's an attorney too. Yeah, yeah. 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 he's a good boy. I gotta go. I got Carrie Lake on the phone. I love you. Have fun tonight. Okay, listen, have Verano on with someone against him. All right, I'll make that happen. Okay for you. You're the best, Artie. That's Artie Idala. That's a good conversation, I got to tell you. Now, we'll take a break. The lovely Carrie Lake from the great state of Arizona. She's going to come on next. Keep it right here. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Friends, hear me on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Oh, you know, you know this uh, upcoming conversation with... Carrie Lake is brought to you by my dear friend Pete Morgan. He'll be watching the Giants of the Niners tonight. Get our asses kicked, but we'll be watching Wooten on anyway. Pete Morgan, Peerless Boilers. Check them out today, PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com. They do build America's best boilers. Carrie Lake is one of my favorite people in the country. Of course, she ran for governor. You know the story. In Arizona, she won. They jobbed her. She was in the studio not that long ago promoting her new book, her and uh, my, my friend Sergio Gore. And, uh, you know, she's uh, talked about running for Senate. I brought her up with President Trump just two weeks ago as a possible VP running mate. Regardless, she is one of the great voices in our country today, my friend, Carrie Lake. Carrie, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? It sounds like you're having a fun show, <laughs> getting wild up a little bit. Don't I always? Always. Um, <laughs> well, these Democrat mayors are just, you know, they... Oh, uh, yeah. destroying New York. I... I used to enjoy going there, and now I hate to say it. I said I, I love you. There's some you know great people there, but that city has just lost its way. Especially when I used to hang out there with, as you said, Giuliani being mayor. It was, yeah. it was a different place. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you were here, and and uh, you know for like a whole week, and you went around the city, and you ended up in Bedminster, which is a very nice place. But just driving around the city, Carrie, I mean, it is. I'm sorry, it's gross. It's gross. No, well, and I was in, I was in L.A. Um, just a few days ago, not even a week ago, and and I, I said to my husband, "This is starting to look like a third world country. The buildings are dilapidated. The, you know, I'm looking around. There's trash on the side of the freeway, just tons of trash. And I'm thinking, I'm assuming people are paying their taxes here. Where is the tax money going? Why is the city so run down? Yeah, and I think that's I really think it's by design that and the open border and the you know you. Millions of people who don't understand our history, don't maybe even appreciate our history, our culture. We are we aren't looking like we're America anymore, and and I I really believe that's by design. I think you're right. I think Democrats. Uh, these are all blue cities, blue states. 
And I was never this political animal before. I really didn't care. I just wanted the Giants and the Knicks to win. Uh, but since I've started doing this and really paying attention, there are no coincidences. It's every Democrat city. It's every Democrat state. That's what it is. And Trump is on this show two weeks ago. He said, Sid, I hate to say this. As badly as they treat me in New York, and they treat him badly here. They want to take his name off every facade around town. He said, as bad as they treat me, I still love it. But I got to tell you, this is exactly what he said. It's starting to look like Bangladesh. And when you see this yesterday, that Kathy Hochul is literally doing a victory lap because Venezuelans, Carrie Lake, Venezuelans are about to get work permits. That's all you need to know about this city and this country. Well, you know, people come in illegally. The, the doors are, as, we, as we've talked about before, and, and I, there's proof of it right here in Arizona, you know, President Trump built a beautiful wall, and Joe Biden went. And, and there's some gates on this wall because of during monsoon season, our rainy season, got to have them be able to open up when all the rain and debris and, and some animals need to go through. I mean, the, the, of course, the left cares more about, you know, a bug and a, and a lizard and a um, insect than a human being. Um, the, Joe Biden welded the gates open. So it's like not only did he roll out the welcome mat, the gates are welded open. People are pouring in. And, you know, these these people coming in are taking our housing. They're taking our jobs. And, you know, these are jobs that Americans could take. Now, I know if you own a business, people say, I can't find people to work. I can't find people to work. But this is not how you do it. And pretty soon, um, there, who's really going to be affected, our wages are going to be suppressed because you've got cheap labor. And that means the hardworking, what's left of the middle class and, and even below the middle class, their wages are going to be suppressed because it's really easy to get super cheap labor <laughs> when you've got, what did you say, Venezuelans or, or whatever <laughs> group it is. Yeah, you got a lot of them. Uh, all these groups, yes, and they, uh, they're just they're looking to work and they'll take anything you give them. You know, I saw you on uh, the Eric Bowling thing and I saw you on Instagram this morning. This is something I talked about with Bill O'Reilly, Carrie, about an hour ago. Joe and Mika, two of the uh, worst people God ever created, two horrible people. So they're on all morning long, and they run this scroll at the bottom of the screen, and the scroll has read most of the morning, Carrie. It has read, why is Donald Trump afraid to debate? It turns out, I guess, that's a story in today's Wall Street Journal, which used to be a really good paper, but much like the New York Times, is starting to become fiction. Why is Donald Trump afraid to debate? Now, he's up by like a 1,046 points. That's about 46 points. And he's decided, what a moron, huh? He's decided, like he did with East Palestine, Ohio, which was brilliant, to instead go to Detroit and hang out with the UAW strike people, the workers. You talk about a blue-collar guy. So forgetting about his big lead in the debate, I would rather have a guy standing with my guys in Detroit than on stage with fat, stupid Chris Christie any day of the week. How about you? He, he debates every day. Every time he goes on with one of these so-called reporters, propagandists, it's like a full-on debate because they're attacking him. So I, I know that President Trump ate. And if Joe Biden comes out of his haze and says, I want to debate Donald Trump, then I know that President Trump will drop everything and debate Joe Biden. He'll anytime, any place, anywhere. And and so that's that's who he's running against. I mean, not not. Asa Hutchinson. I mean, I would. Most people wouldn't know him if, if they bumped into him. <laughs> yeah. They would. They would know Chris Christie because they would know when they were bumping into him. But I mean, DeSantis <laughs> has fallen. It's like he's fallen 
to the bottom of, you know, the Hudson. This guy is, is really, really fallen in the polls. He is now in fifth place in New Hampshire. Chris Christie sits atop him in the polls, and that's a painful place to be. He's in fifth place in New Hampshire. He's fallen to third place in Iowa. Trump is up, depending on the poll, 40 to 50 points. This is, it's, the game is over. It's over, uh, yeah, yeah. No. So why would he, why would he tr- go there, A, give you know, Fox all the ratings that they, they wish they had, and, and give these, these people that are D-listers um, you know, clips to use? Well, I have to tell you that uh, every guest that comes on, Carrie, we end up discussing who Trump is going to face because you just made the point. You're right. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy right now is in second in New Hampshire. He's 26 points back, and you are correct. Carrie Lake's in third, then Christie, and then you get to DeSantis. Wait, DeSantis man, is I think done. you just said Carrie Lake is in third place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm you're right. Kidding. I think you're right. So I think I, I think even the, the biggest Trump detractors are starting to come to the realization that he won. The primary, he's going to be the Republican nominee. It's over. It's done. They tried to indict him. They tried to embarrass him. It doesn't matter. It's done. And the only question remains, and I ask almost every guest the same question, because it's a legitimate one, who was he going to face? And the majority of my guests don't believe it's going to be Joe Biden. What does Carrie Lake think? Mm. Well, I think it's getting really late to put somebody else on the ticket because you have to go through, you know, procedurally, we're running past some of the, the dates on, on, on doing that. So maybe they'll have something go down at the convention and try to swap him out. And you're asking if they do swap him out, who's it going to be? Yeah, is it going to be Gavin Newsom? Is it going to be Kamala, that idiot? Um, I think I think Gavin Newsom's going to wait till 28, which is kind of comical because – you know, you've heard the phrase, don't California my Arizona, don't California my Florida. Yeah. Don't, everybody, nobody wants to become like California, and he thinks he's so great that he could run for president, and he has literally destroyed that state. Um, I've heard Michelle Obama. They probably need to pick somebody who's kind of, uh, who seems to be like they're not a political creature, even though I think she probably is. Oh, she is. Maybe Michelle Obama. Maybe Michelle Obama. She's, she's, the only, she's the only person in the country that I lose sleep over. She's the one. Well, she can beat him. It means, it means we get a fourth term of Obama. Yeah. Right? Let's that Obama's kind of pulling the strings probably. Between Obama, uh, you know, China and Ukraine and every other country pulling the strings on Joe. Yeah, that's the one that, that would be perhaps – Somebody that would, I, I don't think she she would win. I really don't. I, I do. don't think anybody. I do. I do. And I, and I love Donald. You know how much I love him. I think she would win. I do. Uh, this country has a love affair with this Obama, which I don't get. He was the most feckless, worst. His his foreign policy led to more terrorist attacks than any president in the history of our country. The economy moved at the most sluggish rate ever. He was a black man who was supposed to provide this country some racial. Uh, some racial, I, I should say, rest, and instead, what was born, BLM, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray. I mean, this guy effed up every step of the way. You can talk about Biden all he wants. He effed up every step of the way, but because he's African-American and he's very eloquent and, and cute and elegant, this country still loves him. He sucked. Well, it's, it's the media, too. The media who has, 
you know, done an eight-year smear campaign on the greatest president in our history, President Trump, an eight-year smear campaign built on complete lies, fabrications, witch hunts, and made-up stories trying to destroy one man, did just the opposite with Obama. I mean, they didn't cover anything critical. And I was in in the press room for both Obama and Trump, and it was like two different groups of press. Same people, but one of them were lap dogs and the others were attack dogs. And they loved Obama. But, you know, Obama also, the Obama team threatened anybody who covered him harshly with being booted out and never having access. Right. They never even covered his background. I mean, you, you had that guy coming out saying that they smoked crack and did drugs and, and, and had sex. And that was not covered. And, you know, I got a chance to meet and interview both of them. And I, when I met Obama, I remember walking into the room at the White House. And because the press had built him up, I was expecting to meet this, like, larger-than-life figure. And, and I was underwhelmed. I mean, I was like, this is Obama? Really? This is the guy the press has been building up to be this god? And, you know, it, it, standing in front of me was a total beta man. Wow. He didn't charm you at all? Barack Obama? Well, no. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to say I. I, I you, there's something about being in the White House, interviewing a sitting president. There's, there's something that's exciting about that, right? Sure, I'm not going to sure. lie. Right. I've done a lot of interviews, but when you're standing in the White House interviewing the president, it was um, underwhelming, though, because he had been built up by the press. Yeah. Now, conversely, the first time I interviewed Trump. <laughs> I was more impressed. I'm not kidding. In walks a very charming human being with a ton of charisma, a great smile, and larger than life. And so it really was the opposite. It really was the opposite. And I'm not – I'm taking my politics out and just being honest with you. No, that's, of course. It's not was, even close. I was underwhelmed when, yeah. I, when yeah. I stepped in. And I, yeah. First of all, he's much smaller than I thought he was. Um, you know, I guess I thought he was taller and bigger, and, and he's, he's kind of – I don't know, a scrawny is the word? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm getting myself in trouble. <laughs> no, all not, I'm saying, all I'm saying is he, it, was, it was a little bit of a disappointment because he'd been so built up. The press lied so much about everything about him, led us to believe one thing, never did their job, never dug into any of the, of the problems. You know, they didn't dig into anything under Obama. And with Trump, they made stuff up dug into made-up stories, made-up dossiers, and lied for eight years. So no wonder the country feels this way. Yep. And I always tell people if they don't like Trump, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You have been the victim of an eight-year smear campaign and brainwashing campaign. Well, they better like him because he's coming back. In the, in the final 60 seconds, Carrie Lake, and you're awesome. Your Obama stuff was the best thing I've ever heard. Um, I don't know how much attention you paid to, uh, you paid to the National Football League, but my Giants were just in Arizona last Sunday, and you guys built up this huge lead, and the Giants came back and won. It was the biggest comeback for the Giants in a hundred years. Did you watch it? Do you care about football in Arizona? It does. They call them the cardiac cards, okay? <laughs> Um, because you're going to have a heart attack one way or not. I mean, I don't need to have that additional stress right now. I'm going to tell you, my life is pretty stressful. I'm trying to save the country. I'm one patriotic woman who's, you know, along with many, many other millions who are. Yes. So, no, I didn't watch it. Um, 
I have not really, I've kind of, not, I don't want to say turned my back on sports, but I, I, A, I'm busy, and I've been disappointed in some of these leagues sure. and what they've done. When, when, you're, when you do something un-American, I remember that. And some of the, uh, the football league and some of the things they do, I just, I kind of, have given up on them for a while. Well, you're not alone. You're not alone. I know some very enthusiastic sports fans have done the same thing. They're so sick. NBA fans, NFL fans especially, they're so sick of these guys and kneeling and all the nonsense they pull that you are not alone. Well, listen, you are always a breath of fresh air. You're always great. And this morning was no exception. Carrie Lake, thank you so much. Let's do this again very Uh, soon. Thank you. Thank you, Sid. Love you guys. Love you, New York. Love you, too. Thank you. There she is, the pride of Arizona. My friend, the great Carrie Lake. Talk Radio 77 WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. How many special people change? How many lives are living strange? Where were you while we were getting high? Faster than a cannonball Where were you while we were getting high? Someday you will find me Caught beneath the landslide In a champagne supernova in the sky Someday you will find me Champagne supernova oasis Wrapping up our day with them on Liam Gallagher's birthday. Hey, uh, Lou, great job today with Fino. Really great. Thank you so much, Justin Ellick, Noam Layden, all of our wonderful guests. That wraps up this Thursday edition of Sitting Friends in the Morning. We'll be back again, as Gene would say, God willing, at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Enjoy your sunny Thursday in New York City. From all of us to all of you, peace. She never dies. Wipe that Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority. PriorityGoldGuide.com